3: To convincing the world that travel food film was not only possible but necessary to survive.
1: Two decades ago, scientists sent a podcast to space. This is the reply. This is the Triple Threat Theater Podcast, episode number sixty-nine, and my name is Ryan Miller.
4: I'm Joe Daxberger.
1: Anybody catch that reference, you think? We got a lot of Children of the nineties. I'm a big fan of that movie and I don't think I would have remembered that tagline. (laughs) That's why I ask, but interesting.
4: Interesting. Maybe. We'll find out in the comments, Mills. (laughs) People leave comments? Well, you know, sometimes. If they're not bots. (laughs)
1: They're all bots. But
4: let's say. What a time to be alive in the nineties.
1: I was gonna say the nineties or now? (laughs) I think I preferred the nineties. I mean the nineties. Amazing. Yeah, well, this episode came from the 90s. It sure did. It came from the 90s, in fact. Tell them. What did we determine when, because this was a random number Jenny picked number one for us at the end of last Mm -hmm. episode. Uh, This is the second theme we ever thought of Mm -hmm. after the the very first episode's theme, which was Mm -hmm. uh, underwater monster movies. So uh, you can really tell where our heads were at at the time. (laughs) Yeah. Our second uh, second theme we came up with was '90s monster movies. What a fever for monsters. <laughs> oh yeah, always have, always will. Yeah, pretty much. Fist bump. <laughs> so this episode we are going to be discussing '1995's Species, '1997's I Feel All But Forgotten, The Relic, and '1998's Would Be Forgotten if it wasn't for. Kevin Smith, phantoms. <laughs> <laughs> fair.
4: This is fair Some assu- uh, fair assessment.
1: Yeah. That's what I thought.
4: Give the people your history here.
1: Well, uh, always loved monsters and monster movies and supernatural ghost stuff and things like that. So uh, throughout the 90s, uh, following up stuff like uh, Alien 3 and Tremors, I feel like I was always on the lookout for whatever new monster movie there might be. And to be completely honest, throughout the nineties, unless you're going to like, you know, maybe the direct to video market, uh, there wasn't a whole lot to pick from. True. So I feel like, you know, and and I, I think a lot of people would look back, not super fondly on probably all three of the movies we're talking about this episode, but other stuff like deep rising, which we talked about on the first episode of triple threat theater or, Mm -hmm. you know, rightfully so alien resurrection which came out in the late 90s also true yeah i mean there's just not a ton of great stuff to pick from but you know like you said we are you know fans of that stuff and children of the 90s and so we made do with what we had so i look back fondly on like all this stuff yeah. ditto uh species i can't tell you when i first saw it but i've seen it numerous times pretty much that's the case with all of these like i have no specific memory of seeing any of these in the theater same here uh i know that relic when that came out i was excited because the trailers for the movie had like a, a thing in it that said like from the producers of aliens and i was a huge aliens fan so i was like oh awesome I really want to see this. And really all that means is Gail Ann Hurd was a producer on the film, mm-hmm. which doesn't, I mean, it has like nothing in common with aliens really. Right. But uh, it was based on a book. And so the book was out and all the trailers were like, read the book, see the movie. And I'm pretty sure I had the novel when I was younger. I don't remember if I ever actually read it. Hmm. But I mean, if if you know me and like my collecting habits, uh, that's not unusual that I would own a piece of reading material and have never gotten around to reading it but and that could also mean that you still own it i no, i definitely don't otherwise i have like a box of books in the basement and it's i, I don't have it oh. but i feel like i did at one point okay uh, yeah okay. pretty sure i didn't see any of these in the theater but uh had seen all of them a few times some more than others
4: all right uh pretty similar for me to uh zero recollection if they these were watched in the theater or not i'm gonna say they were not but i've seen species quite a few times same with the relic but not as much i feel like species in particular was like a bigger deal at the time mm-hmm. for whatever reason i feel like that um, one was
1: pretty successful yeah it just seemed like there was a lot of Lot of advertisements for that. I mean, the 90s was the time for like erotic thrillers and stuff with like Basic Instinct and Fatal Attraction coming out, and then Mm -hmm. you know, even on to stuff like Eyes Wide Shut later in the decade. I feel like you know, all of these like sexy movies with like murder and stuff just like slightly transitioning to a different kind of horror with like nudity and sex. It only makes sense that this Uh movie was pretty popular when it came out. Not exactly any
4: superstars, but the, sta- the uh, cast is pretty stacked in species as well, which we'll get into.
1: Yeah. I mean, plenty of that guy actors and recognizable names. Yeah.
4: Phantoms just never saw a single minute of the runtime of Phantoms until two nights ago.
1: <laughs> Man. I'm very excited I, to find out what you thought then. When I, we went to that. I knew... Ben Affleck was in it, of course. Yeah, I mean, that's all anybody knows about it. Yeah, the aforementioned uh, Kevin Smith. Yeah, thanks to Jason Mewes saying you were the bomb in Phantoms, uh, I feel like anybody who hadn't seen the movie just immediately decided it was garbage and uh, never bothered Mm. to (laughs) see it. And again, I feel like that movie would be completely forgotten if it wasn't for that line in that movie.
4: Yeah, I don't, I just feel like, because there's plenty of movies like this, like, people be surprised, you know, maybe I've just never seen, I mean, just recently, I watched Top Gun for the first time, just one of those, like, kind of, not that I'm saying Phantom's on the same level, but it's, like, things you'd expect I would have seen at some point, Mm -hmm. Um, I've got plenty of those, I just feel like I' never like phantoms was never on t v or someone else was watching it, or I was like hanging out with someone I'm like,', let's watch phantoms you know like that just never happened <laughs> you and I, I weren't
1: friends like, back in the nineties we didn't know each other we so yeah, it so, never happened
4: <laughs> I mean, I was out there like steadily like rewatching species the relic mimic the oh, faculty all yeah, oh, the faculty uh, you know like all those late nineties grades, but yeah, phantoms was just never in there, and then like I say all the time, sometimes you just need uh to have a podcast that forces you to watch
1: movies. You really have no reason not to. I do feel like that's become your catchphrase on this show. <laughs> I mean, pretty much. So
4: this was like the perfect second trifecta for us to come up with, you know.
1: I mean, was there any part of you that was like, oh, that's a movie I need to get around to or something that was on your radar that you wanted to see or just, you know, it was that yeah, I movie think it was, that it you was, know, Kevin Smith shit on. So,
4: No, I see, I never even thought of that. I was just like, that's that's always been a line from that movie I've loved. So I was like, yeah, I never just expected it to be garbage. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can remember thinking like I have had zero idea the premise of Phantoms. Mm-hmm. Like literally had no idea. I did not know what creatures or was it go I didn't know what was in this movie exactly. I mean I hadn't you know, I knew it was like monsters of some kind, but could not have told you a goddamn thing. So I kind of felt like I was always I'd always get around to it. I did can remember thinking, especially like seeing posters and stuff again, like thinking like that post scream kind of like uh you know Static headshot posters and all that stuff, you know. But so I don't know if like it just, you know, could have gotten lumped into that. But I never avoided it. I just never came across it over the years. Yeah. So,
1: well, like I said, I'll, I'm very excited to to get to that one and hear what mm-hmm. you have to say. Yeah,
4: <laughs> it, and it's not streaming, so. And I don't feel like it's been streaming Anytime I, like, in the over the years, past years of, like, streaming action that I would have just, that would have been something I probably would have just watched. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I could finally watch Phantoms. But still, sometimes you got to have a podcast.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I've always personally been a staunch supporter of that one. Not that it comes up very often. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, yeah, again, I mean, all those movies you mentioned, The Faculty and Mimic, uh, these are all movies that, you know. I definitely have a fondness for. Are they necessarily my favorites of all time? Like, no, for the most part, uh, none of them are. But all right. movies that I enjoy and it really – I, I kind of wonder, like with The Faculty, for example, because John Carpenter's The Thing, which The Faculty is just a big rip off of, but in a suburban high school rather than a Antarctic base.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The Thing is one of my all-time favorite movies – and if I had seen the faculty after the thing, would I hate it and think it's stupid? Mm, that's a good That's a good question. But, you know, I saw it within a year of it coming out on video. And, you know, that movie came out in like the late 90s. And um, it was, you know, I, I think it was out like a little before I was in high school. But, you know, I was kind of that, you know the cool young people of the time and like popular music and everything. And it was a monster movie that, you know, I didn't have any reference point for because again, I hadn't seen the thing at the time. So it was just like, Oh, this movie is awesome. Mm -hmm. And then later when I saw the thing, I immediately realized like, Oh, the faculty was just ripping that off, but it didn't change my opinion of the faculty. Right. But if I had seen one before the other, would it have, you know? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right, and yeah. if it was a case of like you know, I didn't grow up watching any of these movies, would I have a different opinion on them if I didn't catch them until like 2010? Like very possibly, but you know, yeah, for sure. Those Again,
4: unanswerable questions, but yeah, yeah, kind like of fascinating when you think about
1: this is the stuff that we had, and so mm-hmm. you know, I have a fondness for it.
4: <laughs> I mean, yeah, because I think like similar for me, like formative years was like watching Tremors over and over again. Yeah, that was a big one for me, too. That was a big one for me. Even um, Alien and Aliens, for sure. Even like, um, which you would say the same, but um, Little Shop of Horrors, Mm -hmm. you know. Like, just so many of the the old, old school 80s, early 90s. You know, I was into all that at different times in my life, but like, these ones, like tonight's episode, like besides phantoms, but like these are like watching all these right around the time they were coming out too. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll always look back on these 90s movies fondly. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on, Congo. Come oh, on, yeah. There's another good one. Don't get me going on <laughs> Congo, you know? Yeah.
1: But yeah, I don't know. The, the the thing I'm very curious to find out is if seeing one of these decades after it originally came out, how, how that affects your opinion mm-hmm. of it or not. But uh, we'll mm. get there. That's the last we'll one we're going to be talking about. We'll see, friendo. So should we dive right in with uh, <laughs> movie number one? S- so ready. All right. From 1995, we have the cinematic masterpiece that is Species.
2: In November of 1974, a small group from Seti... S-E-T-I, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, used the radio dishes at Arecibo to send out a message to whoever might be listening. They sent about a quarter of a kilobyte, including structure of human DNA, map of our solar system, population of the Earth, helpful facts like that. In January of 1993, Arecibo received a message back from an extraterrestrial unknown source. That's great. Intelligent life beyond this planet? Yes. There were two distinct communications. The first message turned out to be a superior catalyst for methane. We now have the potential to produce an infinite amount of energy from this clean burning fuel. This convinced us that we were dealing with a friendly intelligence. The second message turned out to be a new sequence of DNA with the rather friendly instructions on how to combine it with ours. Here's some technical data on the whole operation. You can get feedback on it from Dr. Baker here. Basically, the new combined DNA sequence was injected into 100 human ova. We got seven to divide, four petered out, two were stored in liquid nitrogen, and we allowed one to grow. That's his codename, their cell. It's after two hours. One day. Two days. Oh, my God. This growth is amazing. It's a week. It's a girl. Yes, I... We decided to make it female, so that it would be more docile (laughs) and controllable. More docile and controllable? I guess you guys don't get out much.
1: I feel like even if you haven't seen this movie, people know what it's about. But (laughs) basically it is a uh, it's like a little more complicated than you even think. Like, I think everybody knows, like, oh, it's about an alien disguised as a woman that's going around and like fucking people and killing them. Yeah. Which is, you know, that is what it is. But the thing that I always forget about when I haven't watched this movie for a while and always wins me back immediately is that catchphrase I opened the show with was Mm -hmm. like one of the taglines for this movie which reads two decades ago scientists sent a message to space this is the reply right and it's not just like oh a uh, a meteorite crashed and then a Mm -hmm. sexy alien woman came out and started attacking a town it's just this cool ass idea about SETI the search for for extraterrestrial intelligence which is real like a real organization or at least it was I assume they're still around but um like, they would beam shit into space, like, songs and music and stuff, just hoping, like, oh, someone out there will intercept it. And the idea being that, you know, they sent out all this information, including, like, the human genome and all this in, mm-hmm. like, data form. And then the response they got back was basically from another an intelligence elsewhere showing us a way to, like, combine human DNA with like some other form of DNA and some scientists did it in a lab. And what they ended up with was a little girl who grows rapidly and has, you know, some features that are inhuman. And then they kind of get scared of the, uh, the thing that they've created that they don't understand. So they try and kill it. And when Mm -hmm. it's threatened, it escapes. And then we have, natasha henstridge (laughs) on the loose seducing Mm -hmm. men and killing them yeah and then they bring in i just love this idea too of like instead of like oh we're gonna get like a predator style you know mercenary team they call in specialists in all these different fields so they have like a biologist played by marge helgenberger and then they have I forget exactly what the hell Alfred Molina's character is supposed to be. He's like
4: something from Harvard. He's some kind of professor or or
1: something. And then they bring in Michael Madsen, who's like, you know when they want to find someone, mm-hmm. they call me in, kind of guy. Yeah, it's like hunter-killer, yeah. whatever you want to call that. And then they add in uh, fucking Forrest Whitaker as yeah. he's an empath. Like, he's, I mean, like, psychic and it's a, can, like...
4: Psychic ghost dog. I mean, what's not the learn.
1: <laughs> yeah, can, like, help them track her. And then Ben Kingsley is, like, the, uh, you know, the scientist in charge of the whole thing who brings them all mm-hmm. together. And it's, like, this group of people... Going around like uh, San Francisco area, I think, trying to track this. The other thing that's interesting about it is it's again, it's like this foreign alien DNA mixed with human DNA. So it's not just like the alien, it's like an alien mixed with a human. So she's kind of confused about who she is. And you know, she's obviously instinctually drawn to like mate and kill people, but she doesn't really know why. there's just there's a lot more going on than you know I think a lot of people would probably just get hung up on oh alien sex and I mean that's part of what it is and that is a draw to you know a certain Mm -hmm. audience well that's
4: like that's it's that's its hook for sure
1: but then I just think there's a lot more going on than what you would think based on just that base synopsis
4: yeah I think so too and it's like I like I said before I've seen this a handful of times throughout the years and um you know it's almost been like kind of like one of those comfort food movies too that like I've just like will rewatch because I've because I enjoy anyways and this time around it's like I hadn't really thought too much into it previously about like the science of it not that I really like you know it's movie science and not that I'm like well versed but just thinking like like what does that even look like if some it's like someone sends you the plans for alien DNA that you combined with human DNA. Like what, what that even means. I have no idea, but it works for me.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know all the logic there either, but <laughs> yeah,
4: it's not like they, you know, they didn't get like a
1: a, DNA, a sample
4: from space. You know, it's like they, they got directions. Like, what does that even be like? That's kind of like extra fascinating to me this time around. I was like, ah, oh, what is that like that? Like crumb germ of an idea. Is like interesting that it's like almost more terrifying that you know it's not like like you said it's like a piece of an alien didn't come in a meteorite or anything like that like it's no it's like man got directions from space and it's made us <laughs> yeah. made us space monster it's like
1: what and I mean there's lots of other movies and things out there with that idea like that's kind of what happens in explorers where the kids have the dream. Mm-hmm. Of oh, like yeah. how to build something from space,
4: yep. it's also uh what contact, yeah, similar, you
1: know. and even going way back to um this island earth the the classic mm-hmm. black and white movie with the metalluna mutant, the alien that has like the big brain head and the mm-hmm. pincer claws, mm-hmm. like there's a thing in that movie where they get a message from space with like a design for how to build a machine. And then, like, they build it, and it turns out to be, like, this... Similar to Explorers, like, a ship or, like, a teleporter device to take them to, like, the alien planet or whatever. It's just... I don't know. It's a neat idea. It is it is neat, and this being, like, the biological version of that.
4: Yeah, it's I mean... Just like,
1: that's, like, a wild
4: out-there out idea, but I love it.
1: Yeah, because there's so many movies, like, The Thing or Predator or uh, or Slither that start with just like the night sky and something comes mm-hmm. rocketing and lands outside of a, a small town or whatever. And then right. movie begins. So it's just, it's just a cool sci-fi concept that yeah. like it's, it's done a little differently. And
0: yeah.
1: again, I, I had, it had been a couple years since I'd seen this movie. I forgot that that was the intro to it. And all over again, I was just like, man, I'm already digging this more than I thought mm-hmm. I would on a rewatch. Yeah. And it's like, it, it, it kicks right
4: off too, you know, and like sill. You know, she escapes. You get the like pretty awesome like cocoon action on the train mm-hmm. with actually like some. I mean, there's a mix of like that bad CGI, which we'll get into more, but there's yep. some practical bits too. And so, like, that's that's like there's a lot of that in the 90s, mid 90s, late 90s mm-hmm. where they're still like
1: using both to varying degrees. Yeah, of there's success. a lot of that in all three of these movies. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like cocoon action on the train. That's cool. Disgusting, you know. She mm-hmm. c- cocoons herself in this train car, and then later she comes spilling out like as adult. Right, uh, mm-hmm. Natasha Henstridge naked. And worth mentioning, I never knew this before, but Young Sill, the like little girl that runs yeah. away and gets on the train, mm-hmm. that's fucking Michelle Williams. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, renowned modern adult actress as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> in A species couple, couple years shy of like Dawson's Creek. Oh, was she on that? I
4: Yeah. I, well, when I was I think uh when I was starting to watch that one and Megan was here for the credits and she was like Michelle Williams from Dawson's Creek and I was like, "Yep." And then I was like, "Oh, I I guess. <laughs> I know exactly
1: 3 things about Dawson's Creek. It existed, oh. Katie uh-huh. Holmes was on it, and James Vanderbeek was on it." That's all I can tell you about it. <laughs> well, add this to your repertoire, friend. <laughs> I'm thankful to say since it's a TV show, we can't add it to a, a uh-huh. trio for the show, which <laughs> yeah, is where I thought right. you were going. No. But yeah, then also, like like you said, the movie gets going very quick. Like It opens with all the Sill stuff, and then immediately they're bringing in this group of people, and they're all like very different, and it's kind of fun. Like They don't know each other, so it's like they're kind of... Getting to know each other in the middle of this, like, crazy situation that's going on. And uh it's just, again, like, a, this stacked cast of that guy mm-hmm. actors. Right. Ben Kingsley, Michael Madsen, Alfred Molina, Forrest Whitaker, Marge Helgenberger. Like, that's an awesome lead cast. Oh, yeah.
4: Oh, it totally is. Like, any, like, little, like, young, like, ragtag group of people, mm-hmm. you know, is always fun. Which is kind of, you know, in varying levels in all three movies, you know, same idea. But I like that. Yeah. Um, but this is the one where, like, they're hunting. Mm-hmm. They don't even know what they're hunting for most of the movie, too. You know, they don't know what she looks like. You know, it's probably, you know, there's a, there's a, the cat and mouse detective kind of work. and
1: Yeah. This is, like, you know, thankfully yet another of any number of movies that was thankfully made before you know, modern smartphones and cameras everywhere. So So it's like, mm -hmm. Oh, she checked into a hotel with this dead guy's credit card. And then they go and they pull like the, the VHS tape out of the (laughs) security camera and they try and like, uh, blow up the image and it's still kind of blurry. So they still don't know what she looks like. Like all that Mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. Like now everything happens immediately and that there still takes time to
4: process things, you know?
1: Yeah. I was just watching a movie yesterday the new Michael Bay movie, *Ambulance*, with uh, Jake oh. Gyllenhaal, uh-huh. and it's about a, this like high stakes bank robbery, and you know it goes wrong almost immediately. But then I'm thinking to myself, like it it almost feels like I guess people still do rob banks, but like how can you possibly do it and expect right. to get away with like cameras and facial recognition technology and shit like that nowadays? Yeah, totally. And it just feels like uh, the the time of like those kind of movies is over. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, know So that's why we still got plenty of plenty of goodies in the '90s. Yeah, there's a pretty good scene. I like the
4: the lab scene in the middle where they're kind of like combining DNA again, and it gets out of hand.
1: Yeah, another great scene that I uh, again completely forgot. Like I remember mm-hmm. all the stuff later on in the movie when like Sil is killing people, but. Like, what a great idea. You know, I think it's Marge Helgenberger's character. She's the, like, biologist who says to Ben Kingsley, like, okay, so you followed the instructions from outer space to combine human DNA with this alien DNA. Well, did you ever think maybe we should just try and grow the alien DNA to see what it looks like (laughs) without the human? And so they do it in a lab, and it's just this, like, crazy Lovecraftian mass of tentacles and shit that's, like, growing Mm -hmm. rapidly and... That's a uh, cool yeah. ass scene.
4: <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's fun, you know.
1: And I just get into it whenever in a movie like this, they start, the characters start vamping and like giving theoretical explanations for things. Like, uh, yes. when I think it's again, Marge Helgenberger's character is like trying to theorize, like, why in the world the aliens would have sent this information. She's like, maybe they see us like a weed and this, uh, Mm -hmm. this thing that they sent down here is like the, the weed killer or whatever to like wipe (laughs) us out and clean the planet of us or something. Mm
4: -hmm. Yeah. I love that kind of stuff too. Like you don't know if it's like that bit of exposition, but you still don't, it's not a firm answer either. Mm -hmm. I
1: love that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's just interesting ideas along the lines of an alien, you know, it's not like something specifically attacked their ship Uh, especially before you see shit like, you know, Prometheus and whatever else. That first movie, it's like they just found a spaceship that crashed that had these things on it. Were Mm -hmm. they on the planet already? Uh, Was this thing transporting them for some reason? Mm -hmm. What was the origin of these things? And like, that's what's cool and interesting. Or even John Carpenter's The Thing. It didn't come to Earth to conquer us. It just crash landed here. And then one of the taglines for that movie is man is the warmest place to hide. So like the idea that, oh, we discover it and its whole thing is it can, you know, transform its shape. So it wants to hide in plain sight. And, you know, when it's discovered, that's just immediately what it does. And, you know, it is dangerous and could take over the world, which is a cool, like apocalyptic thing in that movie. But it's just always interesting to me when it's not just evil creature want eat everything in sight. Like even the right. Predator, like it comes to Earth specifically for sport to hunt. Yeah. Like right. that's a cool idea, you know. Like yeah, like it it
4: it chose to do that for fun. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, I'm right there with you.
1: So like in species, you know, we we never find out for sure, but it's always just cool to hear like little ideas like that that the mm-hmm. writer thought of and mm-hmm. and threw out. And and something that makes Syl interesting is it's not just that massive tentacles that grew in the lab in that one scene like since it's mixed with the human dna you know it's like i said she's kind of confused about her purpose and like she's got human in there so she feels some empathy for mankind but at the same time she's drawn to like oh i want to be i want a baby yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's a neat idea that they explore as well that like you know the first guy that she picks up at like uh, the club she ends up killing when she could have had sex with him because, uh, she like, they theorized that she sensed that like there was something wrong about him. It turned out he had like mm-hmm. diabetes or something. Right. Exactly. And yep. I guess they claim that there's something about that in rats, like rats will turn down a mate if they sense that it's diseased or something mm-hmm. because it mm-hmm. like yeah helps with the ongoing bloodline or whatever. Like just, ah. yeah. I love it. And she like plays it so perfectly too in yeah. that scene. Like it's real good. Yeah. And then those like
4: that I feel like that uh kill scene and the one in like the hot tub were like the big like maybe from previews or just like the like the well known parts
1: mm-hmm. from the movie. Well, I even remember so is it is it the hot tub where she sticks her tongue through the back of the guy's head no it's the di- diabetes, it's guy, the diabetes does guy that she just drowns the other guy yeah i remember oh doesn't something else happen though like tentacles come out of her nipples in that scene is that the one i'm thinking of in the hot tub one yeah, yeah. not at first because she starts to change mm-hmm. like
4: there's that like shot which actually does look too too bad where like they use some cg and like the kind of like those weird shapes start forming on her head yeah. and stuff I actually kind of like that.
1: But I remember at the time, like back in the day, I had, maybe before I saw the movie, I had a, uh, it was called Shivers Magazine. It was kind of like a uh, Fangoria or something mm-hmm. that had a cover story on species. And uh, I I bought the magazine and I remember reading the article and it had, because uh, still the creature, and a lot of the kills in the movie are designed by H.R. Giger. And it had, like, some of his sketches and things for the different, like, kills and stuff in the movie. And I remember there were, like, mechanical drawings by H.R. Giger of how the tongue would go through the back of the guy's head. And, like, seeing that before I saw the movie and being that's like, cool. I gotta see this. <laughs> that's, like,
4: uh, yeah, I'm kind of, like, fascinated with, like, the story of him being involved and even, like, them, like, letting him design, like, the kills and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just cool that it just didn't, like, you know, it wasn't just only alien for him.
1: Yeah. Um, I guess they sought him out specifically because there's a lot of like sexual stuff in his artwork anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh there's I, I have the Shout Factory Blu-ray of this. So I watched a little bit of the special features. um And at the time, he didn't want to come to L.A. because his mother was ill. So he wanted to stay. Was it Switzerland where he's from? he wanted to stay close to home, but the, uh, like a bunch of people from the movie, including Natasha Henstridge, like went out to meet him and he did like a cast of her head. So he could like design some of sill around her. Okay. And apparently he, you know, uh, I watched an interview with the writer of the film, Dennis Feldman. And, um, you know, he talked about how Giger like added ideas to the script and whatnot. Like, uh, I guess at the end, They were just going to, like, Giger had said that, like, so many movies with monsters, including some of the ones he'd been involved with, they, like, kill the creature at the end with fire, and that's what was going to happen. Like, they were going to burn it in that, like, oil pit that they Mm -hmm. find underground, but it was Mm -hmm. his idea to do something different, he came up with the idea of, like, basically blasting a sill in the head with, like, a shotgun or whatever at the end. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But yeah, it sounds like he was involved in, like, coming up with some of the specific kill scenes and things which was kind of cool It's cool i mean you really don't get to see i'm not sure how much
4: practical like full alien sill there is it, on screen i don't think much yeah there might be like a couple shots two or three maybe mm-hmm. you know and there's a couple like the kind of dream sequence things and then
1: but uh, those are like purposefully filmed in like a kind of weird mysterious way so you can't really tell what you're looking course. at
4: So it does – I do find myself – we'll get to the climax, but, yeah, I find myself, like, definitely wishing I could see, like, more Mm -hmm. practical,
1: prosthetic, like, full body or even more shots of just, like, her head. Yeah, I mean, through – I would say 90 to 95% of the movie, it's just Natasha Henstridge. Like, you get – little moments when she kills someone like the alien tongue or like we were talking about in the hot tub where it's like underwater and you're kind of seeing things, but then you really don't see her full on until the end. And then it's like really bad CG. I feel like over the years of us doing this podcast, at least two or three times on past episodes when discussing bad CG, for whatever Mm -hmm. reason, I always go back to the ending of this movie and, like, bring it up as an example of, like, ugly early CG. Because yeah. most of the movie, you know, there's some practical stuff in the beginning. Uh, there's a little bit of CG throughout. But by the end, like, when you finally do get to see Sill, she's completely CG. And she's, like, running around with, like, really bad animation. And she's supposed to be lit by, like, this fire down in the cave. And it she just stands out from the backgrounds in a weird way because of the lighting and... It's, like, legitimately awful.
4: Yeah. I'll say that. Like, the... I won't say it ruins the rest of the movie, because the rest of the movie is so good. But it's, like, this movie could be on such a, a next higher level for me, if they just went practical, and, like, she didn't have to do all the fantastical cartwheel ninja flip <laughs> yeah. type stuff that they have her pulling off, because it looks so bad. it's, like you said, even the animation isn't good. The finish isn't good. The lighting's bad. Mm-hmm. You know... She, she has an alien kid that looks awful Yeah. awful really i don't i you know i like i've said before i usually don't do too much reading before the show of like the behind the scenes stuff just because i like to like it to come out in the wash here i did i did read two things one i'm not sure to what level but i think geiger it said like he paid for that like demon train dream sequence. Yeah, I did see that too. Okay. Like he I saw he that.
1: read it in the script and I guess like visualized it and thought it should really be in there but the production didn't want to like pony up the money for it so he paid like 30,000 out of his own pocket to get that scene in the movie or something. I mean that was awesome and there should have been more of it. So I read
4: that and then I did read I think that they reshot the the final action sequence in some way i'm not yeah. sure what it was
1: before they did change it like i was excited actually when i watched my blu-ray copy there's like a special feature for an alternate ending and i was like oh great i can't wait to see this it turns out it's just like an extra scene at the like the very very end between uh michael madsen and marge helgenberger like insinuating that they're gonna stay together as a couple after the movie uh, they're like geez. on a boardwalk eating ice cream or something it's kind of dumb But, yeah, uh, yeah, I guess there was a different ending, and then um, Giger came up with the idea. It's not, like, the most amazing idea ever, but of, like, shooting Syl in the head with that, like, grenade launcher or whatever. Which, that's fine. That could have just been done. But it's, like, as soon as they get into, like, the cave with the
4: oil, then Madsen disappears. He says he's going to, like, flush her out, and he disappears. And it's, like... It's just, like, random shit of, like, Marge and Ghost Dog, like, climbing, trying to climb in the rocks, and then they, like, yeah. kind of find this Sill's kid, and then he turns into a god-awful alien thing. hmm Gets killed immediately, then Sills out, and she just, it just looks so bad, Millsy. It's, like, demoralizing how bad. Yeah. And, like, we've talked, and, like, I remember, like, of course, like, seeing this back in the day, being, like, kind of like anything, I didn't know better at the time to be, like, how bad that was. But as I see it more over the years, it's like, God, it's just, it's so bad.
1: Yeah. There's a prime example of something where I'm like, when I saw this the first time, did it look weird? Did it look good? Was I impressed? Did it just look natural? Like, I don't remember seeing stuff like this back in the day, there being any kind of judgment of like, oh, this looks rough. But maybe we just didn't know better. I don't know. Like Maybe I was not super discerning because I probably saw it when I was like 11 years old. I mean, I've seen Terminator 2 so many times.
4: And I always have thought that looks great. And I still do. So it's like.
1: Yeah. That's one where like I watch it now and I can see, you know, it's not the like. Sure it's still not the best thing ever, but I'm still to this day impressed by the liquid metal oh, terminator. Totally. I would like, say totally. more so with like modern stuff, uh, the matrix, some of the stuff in the matrix starts to look a little wonky at times, mm-hmm. especially the two sequels. But yeah, I mean the early two thousand stuff for sure.
4: And yeah, now 99, I mean, yeah, definitely. But like, I just thinking you know, like terminator two, like still thinking like that still looks good. And I think I liked it back then. I still like it now. And I, can like discern looking at now it's kind of the same thing like you could see how it's not exactly as polished as later stuff would be but it still looks damn good yeah where it's like freaking species man just looks awful
1: i know it's just a shame that they didn't get like a contortionist wearing a silk costume or yeah. do like an alien three style rod puppet or something would have looked so much better
4: anything it just it makes for like the most awkward scene of just like they're avoiding the oil, and it's just like, oh, it's just such a bad setup for a climactic action. And then yep. what they pull, it's just demoralizing.
1: really is, because the, the rest of the movie is so strong mm-hmm. up until that point. I agree. Like, do not stick the landing. No, like, yeah, everything right up until, you know, she has sex with Alfred Molina and then comes busting through the wall. and Yeah. Them grabbing guns and running into the sub-basement. Like, all that's gravy. And then, mm-hmm. like you mm-hmm. said, the cave. The it, last, like, yeah. ten minutes. And all you need is them. It's,
4: it's, like, story-wise, it doesn't have to change. Them going in, finding her wherever. Final battle ensues. Kill the baby kid. You know, the alien baby. Yeah. That same stuff can happen, but the execution of it is so bad mm-hmm. that it's just, like, I feel like it stops the movie from being... Quintessential, like one of the best,
1: like <laughs> yeah. sci-fi horror movies of the nineties. Yeah, because like we said, there's a lot of really cool ideas and things in there that I think a lot of people probably miss because it's just the alien sex movie. But,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: But yeah, because yeah, it I... is. Mo- it is more than that. Yeah, for sure it is. But man, they like, fuck it up in the end. Yeah, but I don't know. I I still, still like. Oh yeah, I still. I'm still. Like... I'm still... Like, love this movie. It's not like an all-time classic, like, you know, top 10 movie for me or anything, but it's something mm-hmm. that I I have fond memories of and I kind of cherish its existence. And, you know, I may go five, 10 years without watching it, but then I'll always go back and revisit it and be surprised all mm-hmm. over again. It's just unfortunate. Like, the, <laughs> the thing that stands out in my mind the most is how bad the CG is at the end. Whereas yeah. cool scenes, like the lab sequence we talked about or whatever, I forget mm-hmm. in between. Yeah,
4: exactly. It's like it leaves such a bad taste in your mouth at the end. I mean, but I love the cast. I mean, the, this, like, the group is so good and so different. Mm-hmm. You know, just, like, from all walks of life, I've always liked that. Yeah, I've always found, like, their whole cat and mouse detective work, like, pretty interesting. Yeah. I did, like, this time around, too. I guess I never really thought about it before, but she... Feels like a little too elaborate of a setup for Syl to like (laughs) fake her death. death. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, ah, it could really. It doesn't. It's not nearly as bad feeling as the climax. But I'm like, yeah, this movie just doesn't even need all that. Mm -hmm. But you know, I,
1: you know, you get why they do it too. So, yeah,
4: whatever. But that being said. Still a great movie.
1: It almost would have been better if it was like happenstance that like there was an accident with a blonde woman and like a piece of sill did fall off in the right. carnage or something. Totally. So it's not like sill set it up that like I'm going to trick them into thinking I'm dead because, you know, she's she's kind of got the mind of a child and doesn't really understand human interaction because she's like an alien who's only like, you know, a couple months old or something because she grows so fast. Right. But then she's, like, planning this elaborate <laughs> ruse to fool the FBI or whatever. Yeah,
4: there's never really a scene of her, like, learning more of, like, how things work. But, like, at that point, she's, like, really good at driving a car and setting up a murder.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's little things like, you know, when she's in the car with uh, the dude who has diabetes, it, it makes sure to show when they, when she's in the car with him, she looks down and watches him, like, turn the key and, like, move <laughs> right, right. the gear shifter or whatever yeah but there's there's never like a scene of her like like really having a problem
4: with it it's just like by the time she's jumping yeah. the car off the cliffs and like staging her murder it's like she's a seasoned pro
1: with <laughs> yeah. this. it's like it's pretty basic where the first time she sees a television she sees a commercial for a hair dye and then right. she does end up dyeing her hair later to disguise herself and then I, whoever it is uh Alfred Molina or Forrest Whitaker, it must be Forrest Whitaker, sees a co- the same exact commercial on TV and begins to think, oh, maybe she's not blonde anymore. <laughs> uh, but then, like, yeah, did we? Did they cut the scene where she watched an episode of, like, America's Most Wanted with a reenactment of, like, somebody faking their own death so that she knew how to do it? Like... <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I can let it go. Not my favorite part of the movie either. Yeah. I mean, it's also same. pretty ridiculous that – so. You know, she drives a car until it runs out of gas. And then she just gets out and she starts walking and causes an accident and gets hit by a car because, like, she doesn't understand traffic. And then so she's unconscious and someone calls 911 and then, like, random hunky bystander goes to the hospital. He's never met her, doesn't Mm -hmm. know her name or anything about her. And he just offers, like, oh, put her medical bills on my credit card. Yeah, like, and then, dude. like, so that she can go back with him, and they can f- track his credit card records, and mm-hmm. it's like it's a little ham fisted, but
4: yeah, I yeah, it's because it's like yeah, maybe he's a nice guy, but nobody's that nice and dumb to yeah charge some some stranger's uh, medical bills. But mm-hmm. It's got to move that plot, which is fine, still yeah, you know, we're still on board, and all of that would be forgivable, for man. It wouldn't fit what me not feel so bad if that fucking ending, <laughs> yeah. Just like, oh, what could have been, Mills? What could have been? Oh, I know, should have just been practical, man. <laughs> yeah, Tom so right there with you. They clearly made practical bits,
1: yeah. But, yeah, there's behind the scenes footage of uh HR Giger making like a practical still kind of full body thing. I mean, the
4: gift and the curse mid late 90s is. People probably just thought that stuff looked so good because it was so new and it was computers and the whole thing. I mean,
1: maybe it did. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) That's the thing that I can never – like, I watch something like that nowadays and I think this looks terrible. But, like, Mm -hmm. back when those movies were new, I don't remember the conversations being, wow, that creature looks really fake. Right. It's just – Yeah, yeah. It's like anything,
4: like in the 80s, who knew if they knew how good stuff was going to still look Yeah, or yeah 30, how, 40 be, years like Think later.
1: back about like, oh man, playing PlayStation 1 and thinking like, man, these graphics are incredible. Oh,
4: totally. And then
1: if you go back and try and play like, uh, I remember like years after it came out, like maybe even only in like the PlayStation 2 era, going back and trying to play the original Medal of Honor on PS1. And just Ooh. the pixels and like the polygons were so yeah. messy that it's like I could hardly tell what I was looking at. But at the time, it was like, this is amazing. Yeah. You know, like look at, we'll try to look at Goldeneye. Yeah. Goldeneye looks
4: like, uh, I don't even know. It looks like abstract art for crying <laughs> out loud. And like everyone
1: was all about it. <laughs> Which is why it's funny to like, you know, I'll be, you know, working at the comic store and I'll be flipping through a book, like a book from the 90s or whatever, and see an ad for a video game that I remember playing, like Max Payne, and thinking, mm-hmm. like, back in the day, man, those graphics are incredible. And you look at it now and, like, he's like a box with kind of a human face on it. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, Man, it's just so weird that, like, as like, the technology I'll... progresses, like, at the time, it looks amazing because it does yeah. look more amazing than what mm-hmm. you've seen before. But now, in retrospect, it's like, how did we ever think that looked totally. good? Like,
4: I'll still say Metal Gear Solid's one of the greatest games of all time. You look at that thing now. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, yeah. you wouldn't even, like, you wouldn't even get past the start menu now if a game <laughs> looked like that. Yeah. But, yeah, that's that's 90s uh, CGI. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, this movie was followed by one theatrical sequel, Species 2, which you and I were kind of talking before the show. We've both seen, but it's been a while and I don't remember a ton about it. Mm -hmm. I know that there's a male alien in that one. And then there are two made for TV sequels. Uh, (laughs) I think at least one of them was sci-fi channels. So even, even so that it was on cable, I don't think that there was probably nudity in them, which, I feel like Rob's about half of the reason that the first one did well. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, Species 3 and then Species the Awakening. Never seen either of those. Woof. It also spawned a comic book adaptation and one comic book miniseries sequel from Dark Horse Comics and a role-playing game from West End Games. (laughs) Really? I'd kind of love to try the Uh... Species... RPG where you get to pick like Instead of like I'm going to be the elf class Or like the the druid Or whatever you pick like Oh do I want to be the biologist Marge Helgenberger do I want to be The Forrest Whitaker empath Like class Yeah I'm kind of like wanting
4: you to see if you can Search
1: that that down down. So we can play it yeah That's the kind of thing that would either probably nowadays Be worth like $3 Or would be like a $500 rare thing Exactly (laughs) <laughs> this I thought was kind of funny. Uh Natasha Henstridge and Anthony Guidera, or Guidera, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but he was the character in the movie who had uh diabetes that we talk about.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The two of them won the nineteen ninety-six MTV Movie Award for Best Kiss Oof. when her tongue shoots out the back of his head. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Uh, which is amazing that that happened Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. a budget of 35 million box office of 113.3 oh that'll work and uh natasha henstridge um michael madsen and marge helgenberger all came back for the sequel the first sequel uh unfortunately forrest whitaker who also survived did not Mm.
4: he'd had enough at that point
1: (laughs) yeah so uh yeah there's a there's species for you All right. Directed by the guy who gave us Dante's Peak also in the 90s. Uh, Roger Donaldson. Of course. And Cocktail in the 80s. The best. (laughs) All right. uh, On to movie number two. Please. All right. From 1997, we have The Relic.
3: The Kai tribe, lieutenant, believed that headaches were caused by sorcery and the kinfolk of the Headache victim would identify the sorcerer and then go off and murder him. Of course, the kinfolk of the sorcerer would feel they had to avenge his death, so they'd go and in turn kill the headache victim, and I'm sure you can imagine how it eventually all turned out. What's that? Well, it's a medical miracle. Everybody stopped having headaches. (laughs) Lieutenant, what would a superstitious police officer possibly want with an old fossil like me?
4: He wants to know about John Whitney.
3: You think some connection between the vandalism of John's office and the murder? Maybe.
2: What's John Whitney doing in Brazil?
3: Well, John's an anthropologist. He's in Brazil studying ancient tribes, their rituals, their environmental and social relations, their culture.
4: When was the last time you heard from him? Oh,
3: I haven't had actual contact with him for months. But just yesterday, we received a wonderful artifact. Yeah. I took a look at it. Uh, That fact's rather important to me, Lieutenant. Because it may help to illuminate a scientific theory I've been expounding for some time, the Callisto effect. What's that? It's a commonly held belief that
2: uh, life evolved gradually by natural selection. Dr. Frock argues that sometimes there are sudden evolutionary changes that create a grotesque and short-lived aberrant species.
4: Okay, so John Whitney's down in Brazil studying
2: ancient tribal rituals. Could any of these rituals have anything to do with, say, uh,
4: ripping out the
1: human hypothalamus? I beg your pardon.
3: Human hypothalamus?
1: Now, of all of these, like, you know, as you said, you hadn't seen Phantoms before, but, and then, like, you know, I figured you were a fan of Species or whatever, but The Relic is one that I know you've cited numerous times as, like, a movie that you have a fondness for and are a fan of. I do. I do. Yeah, tell me about it. For whatever reason, it's just, like, when it makes me think of, like,
4: undiscovered worlds or, like, you know, something that comes from, you know, whatever far away place or jungle, <laughs> you know, like, that kind <laughs> Same with Congo. The Dark you know, Continent. World. Yeah, like, any kind of thing like that. Like, I always find interesting, or, like, Lost Civilizations, or Atlantis, like, all that stuff is always, like, kind of in my wheelhouse, so I think that's always been, like, fascinating to me especially with this movie, just even like the museum angle. I like, you know, basically the entire movie almost plays out in the in the museum, which I like. And then I, you know, I saw this movie so long ago, again, probably not in the theater, but right around when it came out. And then I went like quite a while without seeing it. And I think I didn't know what to think and I was like pleasantly surprised that I still really enjoyed it and it still like held up in my eyes. You just
1: rewatched this a couple years ago,
4: right? Yeah. It's another one, like I've I haven't watched as many times as I've seen, like species, but it's probably this was easily my fourth viewing, if not more. Yeah.
1: I had seen this one a couple times back in the day. It's one that I never had a DVD copy. And it did come out on Blu-ray, like I want to say back in like the late aughts or something, around 2010 maybe. But then it went out of print and was like impossible to find. And it's one of those movies where it's like, do I really want to spend like $55 to get a bare bones edition of The Relic? Mm -hmm. But not super long ago, it got... It's still a bare bones edition, but it got like re-released and you can get it for like 20 bucks now. So I went ahead and picked up a copy, but I had not seen this movie in a very long time to the point where I remembered very little about it except for like some imagery and like some of the cast. And that's for this viewing? Yeah. Yeah. This was my first oh, time okay. watching it. And if I had to guess going on 20 years.
4: Yes. Yes.
1: You know, always remembered having a fondness for it, but I will say maybe it's because I didn't see it as many times or, you know, and and just hadn't seen it in so long. Or I I don't even remember like if I was like a big fan or didn't really like it that much back in the day. But Mm -hmm. I would say all the movies we've mentioned on this episode, like Species, Phantoms, uh, The Faculty, Deep Rising, like all that stuff, I would say that while I like it and would always say that I liked it, the relic was probably low on the totem pole for me of like all those movies like something Mm -hmm. i would still claim yes i'm a fan but liked all the other ones more and i have to wonder if part of it isn't that i had seen all of them way more like deep rising is a movie i've probably seen once every five years since it came out at least you know whereas the relic it had been like i say a long time Mm -hmm. but uh so yeah, it was. Uh, I was. I was kind of excited to rewatch this because I just picked up the Blu-ray within like the last year and had just been looking for an excuse to pop it in. But um, how did it uh, play out for you? It was. It was really cool <laughs> to see it like almost for the first time because mm-hmm. I didn't remember like how it played out and everything. Like I remembered what the creature looked like. You know, I remembered obviously the museum setting, but like the actual progression of the plot didn't remember at all. And, uh, man, they hold the cards close to their vest on this one for a long time. Like They do. You don't see the creature until, like, the second half. And uh, I didn't get a full understanding of why, but I guess this movie actually got delayed quite a while. Like, the, the, the poster for it says 1996, but it didn't come out until 1997. And mm-hmm. apparently there was like a tight schedule. This uh, The creature in this was created by Stan Winston Studio. There was, like, a tight deadline for it. Uh, for getting the creature done for the movie and like there were, there were delays. So they were like kind of shooting around the creature a lot of times. And like, maybe you would have mm. seen it more if the, the shooting schedule wasn't so tight, mm-hmm. but um, I don't know that it works kind of like the alien in the first alien film where, you know, you get glimpses of it. You don't see the whole yeah. thing really until the very end. So I was going to say, it's like, it's like that or like jaws. It's like, so yeah. kind of like, you know, it was because of the, the, difficulties
4: with the shooting is why like part of why jaws is so yeah there's a whole documentary
1: called like the shark isn't working or the shark doesn't work or something like that Mm -hmm. about the making of that movie and how bruce which is what they dubbed the shark like you know they had to be creative uh, because the shark was always broken (laughs) yeah
4: and i can like see that to an extent with uh
1: the relic too yeah because you don't see a lot of it nope it's kind of like a procedural Definitely. Where like, you know, species is an out and out. Like we know there's this thing and we're tracking it. And we, the audience, are seeing a lot of it, even if it's just Natasha Henstridge going around like a normal looking human. But Mm -hmm. in this, it's like a lot of that... Is something really happening? What are we looking for here? How do we put right, the pieces together of like, yeah. where is this uh, anthropologist that went to another country? And what's the deal with the fungus on these leaves? And mm-hmm. why is this part of the brain missing? Which was always like one of my favorite things about <laughs> oh, this movie yeah. that it eats a specific part of the brain. Right. And it's just like, a,
4: it's like super brutal kills, but they're over fast. Mm hmm.
1: Just like all that bit of
4: the bits of like science or like folklore and science, like mashing up in this, like I've always liked so much because there's there's different characters that will talk about, you know, how it comes in folklore and then someone else will be talking about how like how the basis for it in science.
1: Yeah. And just like, you know, what has been, you know, kind of blown out of proportion over time with the folklore and like where does the basis in fact for things lie? Mm -hmm. And yeah, all that I think is interesting.
4: I love all that stuff in this movie. I guess I really do.
1: For anybody who doesn't know, which again, I would guess is probably a lot of people, <laughs> as I feel like this mm-hmm. movie is pretty well forgotten. Um, the basic concept here is it takes place in a museum, and they have uh, a guy who went to. Where was he supposed to be? He was in like an African.
4: Yeah, I don't even remember if they even tell you specifically where he was. Yeah,
1: he's like, you know, it, it, basically studying this tribe, and. um, He sends back a crate filled with leaves, which they think are just for packing, but the leaves have, like, this weird orange fungus on them. So before they burn, like, all the packing materials, another, like, scientist who works at the museum played by Penelope Ann Miller. 90s staple. Yeah, seriously. Uh, Not too long ago, we talked about her in Adventures in Babysitting. (laughs) It was Elizabeth Shue. She's in that movie, though. Oh, yes, of course. Uh, She's the friend. Yeah, and she's also in uh, The Shadow, which we've reviewed. So she's now on the... uh, Repeat offenders? Yeah, she's on the repeat offenders list, which I feel like, I think like four people got added to their repeat offenders list just on this episode alone. I think we're going to have to (laughs) up the number from like three movies we've reviewed to five because we've reviewed so many things now. Yeah. I mean, but even the director of this movie, Peter Hyams, he directed uh, Time Cop and End of Days also. So he's on the repeat offenders list. Oh, uh, gotcha. So, yeah. We're going to have, well, I mean, we're 200 movies in. So, yeah. But um, so she starts studying the fungus and realizes that basically this tribe, uh, if they were ever like threatened, they would feed this fungus to like an animal or something and it would mutate that animal and turn it into this like ravenous beast that they would then sick on like whatever warring tribe was after them. It's kind of like their defense measure. And um, the scientist who had gone to this country, like drank some tea made with the stuff and he has now transformed into the monster. It's like this giant, Mm -hmm. like lizard creature that's got human DNA and the, uh, the hormones or whatever that are in the uh, the fungus is what it craves. And it's the same mm-hmm. kind of like hormones that are created in the amygdala and the human brain. Yep. Oh, so it just wants it to, to suck the brains out of people. Oh, it's the perfect premise. <laughs> and so it's this. just a creature in a museum, which is like a cool kind of creepy setting at night mm-hmm. when like the power's off or whatever, stalking people. And of course yeah. they have like a big gala opening the night that the monster attacks. So there's like, mm-hmm. you know, all these... You know, rich people in fancy the dresses mayor. and shit trapped yep. in the museum with this monster. It's, uh, it's, so <laughs> it's just you know, a
4: great setup. It really is. You know, there's a great scene in the beginning that you don't like. You don't have the context for until later. But when this the uh, anthropologist guy, he's going to the dock, and he's looking for the crate. Yep. And like, you really don't know, like, what the hell is he doing? Like, he's flipping out about trying to find this crate. And when he thinks he's, he, you know, he sneaks onto the boat and he thinks he found it, but it's not what it was. And the crate was actually still left on the dock. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's so cool to think like, you know, later on, it's like you, you put two and two together and it's like he's freaking out because he's like got to find his food. Like that's why he's he's
1: tweaking <laughs> about it. Like he, already, like he must already know he's changing or whatever. That's funny. I was actually reading it as he, like, after he consumed the stuff, he knew what was going to happen. So he was trying to stop it from being sent to the States oh, so that, see, like, I was just like, there wouldn't be, like, people and animals and whatnot exposed to it. It could go either way.
4: I don't know. Yeah, because cause they don't, I mean, not that you could ever tell, like, how much of his, like, uh psyche is still there as he's turning. But, you know, people were got killed on that boat as it made its way back to the States. And then basically, uh, they're all
1: found with their brains sucked out. <laughs> yeah,
4: and he makes his way through the sewers to the to the um, the museum. Museum. So it's like at that point, like you know, like is he still of his mind, and he knows that the crates are going to show up there, or is he like yes, sensing them? That was the them? one
1: thing that I found a little weird in the movie. It's like so the crates get sent separately and end up in the museum, mm-hmm. and he ends up in the museum even though he didn't like come back with the crates or something. Right. I kind of wish that they would have explained or, like, had some, like, one of the scientists talk about, like, maybe he came back because of sense memory or maybe he was after the fungus and that's where it was or something. That's what, like, the movie needs that
4: scene. But that's why, like, I interpret that early scene that way because it seems like how else would he have ended
1: up all the way back at the, the museum
4: unless he remembered it. But that's just, like, such a cool thing that, like. You know, he's he's got to get back there for his food, and he just, like, kills people along the way. And it seems like as soon as he kills someone, it's, like, barely, like,
1: satiates his hunger, mm-hmm. you know? Well, he's fucking huge, and he's, and he's just sucking yeah. out, like, a little piece of their brain, but... Yeah, he's, like, basically, like, his body... It's, like, the body of, like, a giant lion,
4: but it's a reptile.
1: Yeah, with, like, a big, thick tail. And then big, his face like, kind of has a predator quality to it, because it's got yep. that mouth that kind of opens up with the mandibles hmm that's like perfect for ripping off heads yeah apparently. oh yeah he's I mean, got the like tusks so he just like yeah. grabs you around the neck with the tusk things and mm-hmm. then it like puts his mouth like directly in line with where he can suck the brain out of the back of your skull yeah. i just love it <laughs> i
4: do too i mean i really do and like when i was watching because it's been a few years since i watched it i think last so i even like would forget like i forgot about the the scene in, like, the um, the water-filled, like, catacombs where they're trying to get out.
1: Yeah, the, like, tunnels thing. under it, the it, city. Like, it ends yeah. up, like, when the big attack happens, the entire uh, museum goes on lockdown and these, like, giant doors close and everybody's trapped inside. And so mm-hmm. they decide, like, oh, well, the only way out of here now is to go down through the tunnels and you'll, like, come up across the street, like, out of the sewers or whatever. Right. But eventually
4: it makes its way down there after them and like there's some, just mm-hmm. some
1: crazy shots of some good,
4: some good death scenes there too that I love. That Even like when the cops, uh, you know, they break
1: into the, through the skylight in the. Oh, I mean that's probably the single most memorable moment from the movie for me from all those years ago because that's just the kind of sequence that young Ryan would have thought was amazing. Mm-hmm. When that cop is like they pull they're pulling him back up through the skylight and he's screaming as like his lower half is like down <laughs> out of view and he's like, pull me up, pull me up and then he just like stops moving and they pull his upper body up without his lower body right. on, like yeah. he's bleeding all over the roof. It's so good. Yeah, that's just that's totally that was my vibe when I was like a teenager. Hmm. Oh yeah. Just like <laughs> I was
4: eating up that movie when I was younger, just like Yeah. Big, crazy tss- Science, but also folklore. Giant, cr- crazy-looking monster. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, it still checks off all the boxes for me now, like it did then. And I think like it it's so, to me holds up pretty good. There's some CG, of course, that looks sketchy and very 1996.
1: But oddly enough, the movie is so dark. Oh, it's very dark. <laughs> it is very dark. And I mean, there's not as much CG in this as there is like species because. I mean total between CG and practical. I don't know if this is 100% accurate, but I read online that there's only uh 4 minutes of screen time with the creature in the entire film. Um because I mean, yeah, he is in it so little but like even like those scenes down in the uh the sewers like you were talking about where it picks off one or two people. I mean, it's big when you actually see it. It's like like you said, a lion—it's bigger than that. Like it looked, it's almost I like, mean, the like size it's got of a that body. or something. To I was
4: going to say it's got like the bo- like the st- frame or structure of a lion, but it's much bigger. It's definitely yeah. like a rhino or
1: yeah, it's it's very big and like kind of fast moving and agile. And so there, you know, it's people walking around in like waist high or chest high water, but that thing's standing up like it it could not get itself Mm -hmm. submerged under that level of water if it wanted to. But they're playing it as like, oh, we can't see it. And it's pulling people down under the water. Mm -hmm. And those are the moments where like, you know, like we were talking about before, like less is more is often a good thing. But this movie really, I think it's one big flaw for me is it needed more monster. Like, you needed to see it a little more. And, like, in those scenes, like, it would have been much more effective to me if, like, the person at the back of the line, like, disappears in the darkness and then someone turns around with their flashlight and there it is. Just, like, taking up the entire tunnel that they're in behind them, like, chomping someone's head off and then they run screaming. Like, it's just, you just don't see enough of it. Yeah. With the movie being so dark and that, like...
4: I'm very curious now even, like, how much did they construct of, like, a practical effect?
1: Yeah, I mean, they definitely did, like, the front half of it because there's at least one shot, like, during the big attack scene when the, uh, the like, cops come in through the roof that you talked about uh-huh. where you see it like it like a down low shot of its legs like stepping up on top of something and it's obviously practical but then like any of the full shots where it's like running or moving fast or waving its tail at cg which again isn't much right. like you really yeah, only not. see it in that one scene with the attack with the cops which is kind of brief uh you see it like it's full body climbing up the wall or whatever which you know is it it doesn't look terrible, but it's one of the worst shots yeah, because it is fully for sure. CG. And then, like, at the end, when it's chasing Penelope Ann Miller around, like, the lab, that's really the only scenes that I can think of where you see the thing. Right? Because, like, in uh, the beginning, yeah. when it kills that, like, security guard, I was even thinking to myself later on, how did it get into the bathroom? It's, like, too big to fit through that door. <laughs> well, yeah, it's,
4: like, at that point, like... You you have no idea like what is it already like a fully
1: grown thing? Yeah, I guess that's it, it true. Does, but you never get any impression of
4: there is like a practical, a practical like arm thing grabs that security guard.
1: Oh, does it? I don't even the remember the that. Stall. Yeah. If you oh, yeah. Yeah. It. Yeah. You're right.
4: But it's like there's no basis because you don't have anything to go on later. It's like is it the same arm, same size? So you know, there's a lot of unanswered things in the movie. Is like, is it still growing? Does it get bigger with the more? amygdalas it eats like yeah. who the hell no i mean
1: it's just big enough that like it couldn't fit through a normal size doorway with like because it's so large yeah it would literally be like trying to get a rhinoceros to walk into your bedroom like right. it just would not fit through the door frame but it's like because they show it so little it gives the impression this thing is like sneaky and hiding but it's so big and when it's attacking right. people it's lumbering around like a like a rhino <laughs> mm-hmm. it's a great great like also ridiculous scene but
4: when it's like chasing her through the offices and it's just like smashing through all those doors yeah. like i've always loved that and i always think like the probably like different than species where like in the finale of species i think the animation and like the finish is so bad
1: where at least like in this
4: the ant it's animated good. yeah it's just like the finish of it is very 1996 but so. they
1: show so little of it in like wide shots or whatever that it's pretty effective like the only part of the movie that I think looks bad from a CG standpoint is that shot of it climbing up the wall to bite the bottom half off that cop. Yeah. Because it's a wide shot. You see its entire body. It's pretty well lit and it's, it's climbing like a weird upside down kind of zigzag angle. surface. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. I'm with you. It even like it doesn't, it looks, it's a cool effect when it's like completely on fire. Mm-hmm. It looks kind of crazy when it explodes. Like it looks very like CG explosion yeah. at the end, but up until that point when it's just like running around trying to kill her and it's on fire, still look, that all still looks pretty cool to me.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, it survives the criticisms that we had of Species just because it wasn't as bold in its use of CG. But right. unfortunately, because of the restrictions of the filming schedule and the practical effects and their, you know, effective minimal use of CG, it just means we don't get a ton of monster. Right. Right.
4: So yeah, it's could it could almost be like those what what could have been. But then also, you know, it's like back to like, well, what could jaws have been or what could, you know, alien would Yeah. Well, I see I the, think all these things be different. Like if you uh, watch
1: knows? Alien, one of the interesting factoids that I've read numerous times over the years is that like people saw the movie Alien Left the theater and still didn't really have a clear understanding of what the monster looked like because it's A, so unusual looking when you do see it, and B, it's like it's used very briefly at different parts of the movie. But at the end, when Ripley's in the Narcissus, the escape pod from the Nostromo, and she realizes that it's on board with her, and then it's like casually like crawling out of the wall Mm -hmm. and like reaching its arm out and like sticking its second jaw out and all. I feel like personally, you know, that could have stylistically been a Ridley Scott thing, but I also feel like that was them finally being like, okay, let's show this thing off a little. We built this thing and it's cool looking.
4: Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, I, of, of all of the things we mentioned, I'd say probably Alien was the most, like, deliberate in its use of, like, or its lack of use of the thing. Yeah. For-
1: and I know that, like, Ridley Scott didn't want to show it off a lot because you know it's just a man in a suit and it's hard to get away from like oh it has joints exactly where a person does and everything and, you know, it all makes sense because it's, like, birthed from a human. It's kind of like species where it's, like, human and or, – or this movie, human and monster DNA combined. But mm-hmm. his idea was, you know, if we show it too much, it'll just look like a guy in a suit. So that's why they right. tried doing, like, the weird crab walk scene that didn't mm-hmm. make it into the movie probably mm-hmm. for the best. But Thank- thankfully. Yeah. But, yes. like – yeah, this movie is just it. It there. There's never really that scene where there's like a nice reveal where you get like a really good clear shot of it when it's not. Climbing yeah, it doesn't well have like a,
4: a hero shot.
1: Yeah, yeah,
4: it's got like the the big scene would be like the one with the skylight. But yeah, like you said, there's never.
1: Yeah, if you really watch that scene, it's a lot of, like, close-up of its face and then, like, kind of shaky Mm -hmm. cam of, like, people screaming and running around and, like, a low shot of just its front legs, like, stepping up onto something and then, like, kind of a shot of its back legs and tail in CG as it runs off camera. Yeah, but it's in shadow, too. I actually know the exact, like, shot you mean, too. Mm -hmm.
4: I mean, on the one hand... I'm okay with all like with that aspect of it because like the at least the entire movie is dark mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like it would I feel like it would be like more glaring to me if it was just a normally lit movie and then but then all the shots of the monster in the dark I feel like it would be like, it would stand out to me a little more Yeah I mean ultimately yes I mean it could use more monsters
1: it, It's just another instance where like you know you could have created you know, stop motion might not have been the best decision at this period in time, but you could have done a rod puppet or mm-hmm. or something, force perspective. Like, there's ways yeah. that they probably could have done it. But again, yeah. I, it sounds like the schedule was very demanding. And, mm-hmm.
4: and then it's, I think, sign of the times, man. It's like with every movie like then, it's like they thought computers could do all that heavy lifting where maybe, yeah, you got like some kind of puppet or a miniature or, you know. Yeah would have been done differently and who knows. But for what we've given, for what we are given, I still like enjoy the shit out of this movie. Yeah, It's like my, my kind of premise, my kind of monster. I like the cast. I mean, we didn't even give a good enough shout out to Tom Sizemore. Who's just, (laughs) he's very Tom Sizemore in every movie he's in, especially this one.
1: Yeah. He's good. This movie does have a lot of like that guy actors as well. Like Linda Hunt, the, uh, the woman who's like in charge of Mm -hmm. the museum, who, Anytime I see her in something, she's just kind of very likable. She's very yep. short, like probably on the verge of being considered a little person, if I had to guess, just because she's very small. But she's mm-hmm. got like the big glasses. She reminds me of Edna Mode from she's, The Incredibles. Oh, yeah.
4: <laughs> Edna has to be modeled after.
1: her. Yeah. Um, she's in stuff like Kindergarten Cop, uh, the David Lynch Dune. Um.
4: Oh, God. She's must be in – yeah, she's like a that lady actor. She's yeah. got to be in a billion things.
1: James Whitmore plays the older scientist in a wheelchair who, A, is the most lovable human being in the world in this movie. Love him in this film, his whole attitude and everything. But he's like a classic actor. He's been in like hundreds of things. He was in the classic noir movie, The Asphalt Jungle. He was in Them, the old black and white movie with the giant ants. Uh, He's in Planet of the Apes. He's in Tora, Tora, Torah. He's the old guy who takes care of the bird in The Shawshank Redemption uh red yeah or no no red is no, um not red um, morgan freeman yeah no what uh i don't remember his name he carves it on the uh he that does, does that rafter yeah. in the uh hotel room but <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah like he's he's like a fucking huge deal like a old-time yeah. actor and he's just great in this um yeah no he is uh, weird connection. Uh, the guy who plays Sergeant Hollingsworth, who I feel like you don't get a lot of him in the movie, but he is Tom Sizemore's right hand man. You hear his
4: name a hundred
1: times. Yeah. It's always, yeah. it's always Tom Sizemore screaming his name over a walkie talkie.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, he's played by a guy named Clayton Roner, who the only significant other role I saw for him on IMDb was he's in April Fool's Day, which we reviewed not too long ago. Oh, okay. <laughs> the Asian... Uh scientist who's like the competitor yes. for the grant. Who's like a very charismatic, fun guy in this movie. Uh, his name is Chi Moy Lo. Funny enough, Penelope Ann Miller, uh, Linda Hunt, and this guy are all in Kindergarten Cop together. <laughs> okay. I mean, Robert Lesser, who plays the mayor. He's in A Thousand Things. He's in The Monster Squad as one of the kids' dads. He's in Ernest Saved Christmas. He's in the 1990s American Godzilla film.
4: Damn.
1: It's just, yeah, tons of fucking that guy people. Mm -hmm. I don't remember the actress's name. I know that this was her last performance, but uh, one of my favorite scenes in the movie, just because I always love a scene like this, is uh, when Tom Sizemore is investigating and he goes to the morgue, and she's like the (laughs) matter of fact, like, oh, Mm -hmm. dead bodies and shit don't bother me. Like, I'm joking and eating around dead bodies kind of character. Uh, I love that scene and just, her attitude and she's describing like what's missing in the brain and everything. And
4: oh, I forgot to mention it, but I thought as I was watching, that's actually like a great autopsy scene because mm-hmm. it's not, it doesn't feel like dumbed down
1: for TV or movies or anything. Yeah.
4: Like it, it feels like very legitimate. I was like, and she is great in it.
1: I just love that. You know, so many movies have that scene where like, the detective goes to the morgue for their job, but they have to hold like a tissue over their face. But then mm-hmm. thinking back not super long ago to arachnophobia and there was like the big fat guy who was the morgue attendant. He's just like literally eating a sandwich and sitting it down on the table next to a dead yeah. body and stuff. And then this woman in this movie and like her matter of fact, like mm. jokey attitude. I, I love that shit. It's just like a, yeah. it's a trope that I love.
4: Back to whatever episode there's a scene like that in backdraft.
1: mm where, yeah like,
4: Billy Baldwin's like, you know, they're like giving him, like De Niro's giving him shit for not picking up a burnt corpse and
1: all that, you know. (laughs) Yeah. So this film was based on a best-selling novel of the same name written by Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child. Uh, There is a sequel novel, which I think you need to read and report back on, called The Reliquary. I mean, I kind of want to read both. To be (laughs) perfectly honest, I really do. The sequel is I guess the creature somehow comes back or a new one is created and gets loose in like the sewers under the city and it's like instead of in a museum, it's in the sewers.
4: Okay. I like
1: it. I couldn't find a whole lot of details about this one. Again, the Blu-ray I have is bare bones, so there wasn't anything on there. Um But the one thing that I did read is that so in so the one of the authors of the book, Douglas Preston, He used to be like a public relations, something or other, for the American Museum of Natural History in New York City. And so I guess because he knew that museum or whatever, he set the book in that museum. Mm -hmm. And so when it came time to make the movie, the production wanted to film there, but... Uh, The museum wouldn't let them film there, A, because apparently the novel portrayed the museum staff in a bad light, mm-hmm. which probably comes from the dude working with them <laughs> totally. in real life. And B, they were concerned that the film would scare children away from wanting to visit the museum if there was like a monster movie that took place there. Unbelievable. Uh, so instead, they were trying to find some other museums that kind of fit the bill for what they needed. And uh, they ended up filming at the Field Museum of Natural History in Chicago. Which looked pretty
4: enormous, yeah.
1: actually. And apparently they read the script and were just immediately like, yeah, we love this. Come do it.
4: Yeah, like, of course. Like, who would think kids are going to watch that movie and then that's what they would be afraid <laughs> of, is that particular yeah. museum. So stupid.
1: Speaking like we were before about like how little I remembered about this movie, just like certain images and things, uh, in the beginning of the film there's like two kids that like sneak into the museum and they're there after it closes and they kind of get scared mm-hmm. by the monster in my memory. Like if I had, I if like if there was a situation where we were betting on things, we knew about this film, I would have put a cool $20 down on those kids were trapped in the museum, the entire film. Like that's the way I remembered it, that they were there the they, whole they time. They should have been.
4: I actually would have liked have just at the end scene, you just see them like casually like making their way.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, w- I was convinced they were in there the whole time because like when yeah. they leave and then like the movie's going to continue on like a day or two later, I was thinking to myself, do the kids sneak back in? And then they never come back. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But uh, budget for this one, estimated 60 million. I couldn't find exact. Uh, box office, 48. Damn, sixty.
4: That's a lot. Yeah, what where, where, where was species was half that two years earlier. Mm-hmm. Damn, where did it all go?
1: Like I said, that's I read that online as estimated, so I'm not exactly mm. sure what the budget is, but that that's all I could find. I don't know. I feel like a lot of people have probably haven't even seen this. Have no idea. That's that's the thing. I feel like again, I feel like the movie Phantoms, because of Ben Affleck's connection and that reference in a popular Kevin Smith comedy people at least know, oh, there's a horror movie starring Ben Affleck called phantoms. And most people probably haven't seen it, but I think relic is largely forgotten by everybody. Like no one would even remember it existed if you showed them like the poster or the box or something. Right. It's just one of those movies that, I don't know, it just feels like it came, it went, and only like a tiny percentage of weirdos like you and I remember it at all.
4: Yeah, like people like running the circles that we run in are going to know all three movies on to some varying degree. Mm-hmm. But outside of like our kind of people, like most of the population would probably know of species and that's it.
1: Yep, for sure. And again, I keep going back to this, but I bet you most people would know Species is, oh, yeah, that's the movie where an alien fucks people, right? <laughs>
4: yeah,
1: right. Yeah, Natasha Andridge was like super popular after the fact, too, so. Yeah, she went on to be in stuff like uh, the whole nine yards and the whole ten yards. Yeah. She did a, uh, a Van Damme action movie. Uh... Ghost of Mars. <laughs> right, Ghost of Mars. <laughs> yeah, that was probably uh, towards the end of her popularity. Yeah. But actually, the whole whole nine yards, whole ten yards,
4: those were like huge movies at the time, too. So. Yeah. I'm going to go hunt down the reliquary. The
1: reliquary. <laughs> the novel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear about it. All right. All right. Uh, third and final film. Please. The moment I've been waiting for. <laughs> from, Man. From 1998, we have the movie that Ben Affleck is the bomb in, Phantoms. Word, bitch. Phantoms like a motherfucker. <laughs>
2: You wonder what's going on in there. They're preparing a weapon. Possibly a means to destroy
1: you. I don't fucking believe him. He's selling us out. This son of a bitch is just out there trying to save his own ass. Wait. For what? For For
4: him to play his hand.
2: Specifically, it's a genetically engineered bacterium capable of devouring your flesh. Capable, they think, of killing you. What they don't understand is that death is for mortals, not for gods. Even after all they've witnessed tonight, they still don't believe. They still think you're only an animal, only a thing. Show yourself. Gods have nothing to fear.
4: Or do they?
1: You went into this knowing like nothing about it, right?
4: Absolutely nothing. I think I knew that I must have seen a screenshot or a GIF because as soon as he shows up, I was like, oh, yeah, Affleck is a, a sheriff in this. Mm-hmm. Other than really than that, I had no
1: clue. So plot synopsis, and then you tell me what you think, or you just want to I I kinda wanna give know. Give the
4: people give the people a plot synopsis.
1: All right. So the movie Phantom. <laughs> the premise is, and this is it's kind of shooting big here, but um the premise is two two women uh played by Joanna Going, who I don't really know from anything, uh, and Rose McGowan, their sisters and they're going to this like a uh, little remote quaint village like up in the mountains to get away from Los Angeles for a little while and when they get there uh the town is completely deserted they're wandering around looking for people and some weird things start happening they start discovering some dead bodies and they're concerned like oh no is this like a a chemical weapons thing or is there radiation here like what's going on and uh eventually some cops show up uh, the lead one being Ben Affleck, and they also don't know what's going on. And while they're investigating the desolate town, they find a note written on a mirror in lipstick in a bathroom with no windows that was locked from the inside. And it mm-hmm. says, Timothy Flight, the ancient evil. Uh, so they're able to get a message out of the town with his name, and then basically, like the FBI goes up and picks up this Timothy Flight guy who is an actual, like, educated scientist. He's played by Peter O'Toole, but his, like, extreme theories have gotten him basically ostracized from the scientific community. And now he essentially works for the Enquirer, Weekly World News. And his concept of the ancient enemy is there have been throughout time, be it like the Mayan civilizations or the lost colony of Roanoke, large groups of people that have disappeared off the face of the earth with no explanation. And his theory is that there is some kind of ancient creature living deep within the earth that hibernates for long periods of time and every now and then comes up to feed. And that's when these like huge groups of people disappear. And it turns out he was right. And they bring him to this town And the creature is basically like a big blob mask kind of thing that can transform like John Carpenter's The Thing or whatever. And it's intelligent and has a hive mind. So it absorbs the knowledge of anybody it kills. And so when people see this creature about to murder them, the last thing in their mind is, oh, my God. Uh, uh, this is a demon, it's a devil, I'm about to be killed by, you know, their minds go to whatever, they're trying to wrap their head around what it is. And so it begins to think it is Satan. Like, the creature has never had a predator attack it through all of time, it's always been the predatory one. And it now thinks that it is Satan, and it wants... Timothy flight, the only person who believes that it's real to like speak the gospel of it and tell the world about its existence. And then trapped in this town with this like crazy ancient being from beneath the earth, they have to try to find a way to kill it. It's a big idea, but I'll just tell you, I love the premise of this movie. It is just like, I saw this before things like John Carpenter's The Thing or before knowing who the fuck H.P. Lovecraft is. But this is just the kind of like big, crazy, cosmic, unknowable, horrifying evil that I I just it scratches so many itches for me. And, uh, you know, the movie is it has its issues, but. I I love it just based on that premise alone, and there's other things I like about it too. But what do you think of Phantoms? There are
4: glaring problems with this movie to me. But Milzy, I like really enjoyed watching this. <laughs> I had a feeling I really you did. You might say that, Milzy. I gotta. Th- I have to wholeheartedly high five agree with you. This is one of the coolest fucking premises. I feel like I've seen in such a long time. Yeah. The idea that this fucking millennium millennia old creature has been around kicking around for so long that it's tricked itself into thinking it's Satan is amazing. Yes. What a fucking great idea. What a fucking idea when they hit you with that at the you know, beginning of the third act or whatever it is, I was just like, I, I was like, kind of like mind blown. I think I paused it just to think about it for a second. I was like, I have never seen anything like this. It's so ballsy in just how really crazy
1: is. the idea is.
4: And I got to <laughs> say in the beginning, I not that I had any idea that's where it was going, but you know, the opening credits, like, I had no idea this was a Dean Koontz joint. Oh, yeah. And I didn't even know exactly what that meant. Like, I just knew he was... It was just, like, suddenly, again, it, like, this wasn't some... Sud- suddenly wasn't some like scream kind of yeah. late 90s knockoff <laughs> like
1: which you see like oh it's rose mcgowan and like hot young actor ben totally. affleck fresh off of goodwill hunting yeah. the year before and you think yeah Absolutely. it's gonna be that but
4: and that's i saw i like pulling up the movie i think it's on hbo and it's just like it's the photoshop like you know line of heads i'm sitting here thinking that, but then when it opens and it's like you know it's dean Cohen, i was like oh hold on i was like I was like, that's like something different. That I just was not expecting. I mean, I even absolutely love... It It kicks off like immediately. Like within six minutes, they're in the town and they already know something fucked up is going on.
1: Yeah, when the movie opens, it's literally the two girls driving to the town. Yeah. And they get there and the town's deserted. And it's the kind of thing where like... I've seen it enough times over the years that I remember the premise and everything. But it's it's like... Like the first time I watched John Carpenter's The Thing, it was recent enough because it was when I was in high school that I, or no, it was maybe when I was in like eighth grade. I remember the feeling turning the movie on and not knowing what it was about. Like I knew it was a monster movie and I'd seen like images from it or whatever, but the movie opens with it's in the Arctic tundra and there's a helicopter. <laughs> flying around chasing a dog, and sh- they're mm. shooting at the dog. And it's just like, what is, what, why is this happening? It just like yep. opens on this mystery and it like builds and then eventually goes places that no one would ever expect. And this movie is like that almost like to the nth degree just because of how fucking Mm -hmm. big it shoots for the concept. But yeah, they're in the town and they're looking around and it's like, there's a couple of dead bodies, but not a lot of people. And could it be like, this was a chemical attack by terrorists or did, is there a radiation leak somewhere? Is this a disease? Mm -hmm. And Rose McGowan wants to get out of there, but like the sister's a doctor and she's like, no, if it was radiation, there'd be burns, but there are none. And like, why have we only found like three bodies instead of the entire town being dead? And, and, And then they find, like, piles of metal uh, because the thing can't digest metal. So there's, like, pacemakers and golden teeth. And then they're making connections like, oh, this is kind of like the Nazis when they would kill the Jews and they would take Uh the gold teeth and stuff out. And it's just there's all these cool elements that, like, build to, like, what is going on? Mm -hmm. And then the reveal, it's just it's the kind of idea that I'm like, yeah, how did he come up with this? And then it's even rooted a little bit in reality with like, you know, like my entire life, uh, every summer, my whole family has gotten together and gone to the beach in, uh, North Carolina. And right near there is, uh, like where the lost colony that he talks about, uh, the mm, lost colony of Roanoke. Roanoke, where they disappeared. And so like my entire life, I've known, like, there's these, uh there's like these attractions where they do like reenactments and there's like a museum you can go to in that area about the lost colony. And it's always been a thing I've been mildly interested in just because I have that personal connection. Cause I've been going to that same place every year for like 30 years or something.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then this movie, it's like, there's this little kind of inkling of like, Oh, maybe that's what happened to them. And he's like, Oh, that could be what happened to the dinosaurs. Like he, it, it killed all the dinosaurs. Like, Any connection to, like, reality like that? It's kind of like what you were saying about, like, the connection between science and folklore and the relic. Mm -hmm. Ah, that stuff just makes the fucking hairs on the back of my neck stand up. That, like, so, like, throughout the movie, like, there's, like, of course there's
4: sketchy CG stuff that was, like, I found myself, like, eye-rolling. But I'm, like, still having a good time. But once it gets to the reveal and I, I was just, like, total, like... You know Jack Nicholson nodding (laughs) gif, like, or when they talk, when he when he drops a bro or no, I'm like yes, I was like yes, give it give it to me. I was like, just the the idea of the blob that's been around for so long that it's tricked
1: itself into thinking it's Satan. Yeah. It's just like so out
4: there and so
1: awesome. <laughs> it's just a cool idea because it's like, okay, so this thing exists and it's basically just an animal eating, but then it consumes the knowledge of everything it's ever eaten. It's not going to get a lot of knowledge from dinosaurs or whatever, but right, you know, right. then man in the like the history of the planet Earth has been around for like a blink of an eye compared to the existence of the planet. So like in the last few thousand years, whatever it ends up being like, Uh, I'm no historian, but like it begins to get knowledge from people and people are like a superstitious lot. And, you know, because of religion, everybody fear like something that's unknowable. They immediately think of demons or whatever they can attach it to. Mm. And yeah. So in the final moments of it killing people, everyone thinks it's Satan and it begins to believe that because it's never been threatened because it lives underground and it's like a hive mind. So like it's impossible to kill seemingly and. Yeah, it it kind of gets, like, uh, it's, like, fucking full of itself.
4: Yeah, it never loses.
1: Yeah, and so then the fact that it's, like, you know, you think of, like, biblical passages and stuff, and it's, like, yeah, it wants to be, like, it, it wants, basically, Timothy Flight, the only person who believes in its existence, to basically speak the gospel, it says. It wants him yeah. to, like, tell the world, write the Bible, like, it has nothing to fear. So, yeah, tell people out there, I exist. Right like as i'm watching it i'm like
4: i'm like just cuz like the premise of the episode like i know it's monsters but it's like playing like kind of like a ghostly
1: apparition angle and i was really just like wow how is this going to play out i was like what is this yeah the first time it really does any kind of attack it it's like a giant moth <laughs> yeah it's just like that and it's just it it is random i mean
4: i'm i'm kind of like here and over there like the presentations of it yep you know throughout I mean, there's parts I like, like, I wish we could have got more of, we'd, like, lose a scene that I really wish was in it when, like, the, like, hazmat suits that have been taken over, Mm -hmm. like, the people, they show up and there's clearly, like, there is a battle, but they don't show that. Mm -hmm. Oh, God, I wish we could have seen that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Like, uh, oh, it's just a great moment when, like, you know, they've sent in, like, a small group of soldiers and hazmat people into the town, but then, like, the major you know military force stays outside of the town and like to stay safe for in case there is like a chemical attack or something. And so like they lose contact with the people in the town and then they look up and on the hill is all these people wearing like hazmat Mm -hmm. suits with like these glass visors and all the glass visors in the front of the heads are are cracked open. Oh, Oh, oh. such a cool like visual. It looks awesome. So cool. (laughs) Like
4: I love seeing that going around and
1: even like you know so the first attack when all the military and all is there is in the church and uh the dog is a direct like homage to the thing when the dog walks in and like all the tentacles come out of it and it spews the black liquid into all the people's suits Mm -hmm. but just like all the imagery of like the black stuff filling up someone's suit or like sucking into their mouths and all is Sometimes it looks better than other times, but I just, I love that kind of, like, body horror, like, oh, it is taking people over, it's absorbing their minds. Right. Yeah, it's, like, kind
4: of, like, gross, and it is, like, a terrifying idea of, like, you know, all your your orifices being filled up with some goo like that. Yeah. You know? It's, like, it harkens back to
1: movies we love, like, the stuff and the thing and the blob. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, so on one hand... You know, it's it's big ideas, and it feels like they come to a conclusion on how to kill it in like no time flat. Like it does feel a little convenient or whatever. And those kind of plot things are like sort of the downfalls of the movie. But it it is imperfect. But you know, as something that like it's it's one of these movies that like nobody really knows about, nobody pays attention to. And I get it. You know, it's mm-hmm. you know a forgotten movie. It's not Ben Affleck's Finest Hour, and It is, like, kind of weird, but, man, it's, like I said, like, personally, for me, it's just, it tackles ideas and things that so few movies do. I mean, for, like, a just just on paper basis,
4: like, idea, it's, like unlike anything i feel like we've we've like watched for the show like that kind of idea is just so i think
1: the closest thing is something like from beyond where the idea is there's this entire other dimension around us at all times that we just can't perceive unless we have this machine resonate a frequency into our brains and
4: like and like yes but like even like that while like cool it's not as like it's not as, like, high and tight for me as, like, this one is, mm-hmm. you know? It's just, like, this This is, like, some, like, next level thinking. Like, good. I, like, that'd be, like, if I, that was an idea I came up with, I'd be, like, hell yeah, I need to make a book of this, <laughs> you know? Like, I'm Dean Koontz. Yeah, like, Dean Koontz did it. Shit, that's a good idea. Um, For, I mean, plenty of positives. I mean, it's just, like, there's so much CG throughout the thing. is just dreadful. Yep. It did, it did take me out of a lot of the scenes just again it's like we said already it's like late 90s i was like they're really firing on the computer action here and thinking it's gonna like do a lot of the the work for them but that being said then friggin leave schreiber shows up in the end oh, yeah with the fucking like half a tentacle body i was like where the fuck has this been this whole movie yeah, and then
1: they shoot him in the head and it's just like again like john carpenter's the thing like It's almost like a meat flower opens up and like a mouth comes out of it. And
4: like, I understand like budgets and movie or whatever at the time. I was like, dude, if only this had been then like more
1: of this throughout
4: the movie. Yeah. I was just, oh, it was, like, it was, like, so exciting to see, but was like, it was, like, maddening It's sad, too. I was just like, oh, this looks so awesome. Like, yeah. where has this been, this whole movie?
1: Like, how did this happen? But, I mean, isn't that kind of the theme that we're discovering from all of these movies? Like, the relic, you know, looks good, but disappointingly has very little monster because of the limitations. And species they finally get to the creature at the end and the CG is like unfortunate. And then this movie, you know, it's got its own problems with, with CG and like, even one of the most disappointing shots to me is like, so at the end, they basically run a test on the creature and discover that it's close in biological makeup to crude oil. And -hmm. I guess there's a real bacteria that has been invented that they reference in the movie that was designed by a scientist that can basically eat crude oil very quickly and they use it to clean up oil spills. And so they make a version of this and they're like, if we can pump this into the thing, then it'll it'll potentially eat it up and kill it. But we have to draw the entire mass to the surface. How do you do that? And then I think it's Ben Affleck who's like, well, the thing is awful fucking full of itself. Like, just tell Mm -hmm. it. Like, you have to go out there and be like, let me see the glory of you, the entirety of you, so I can (laughs) spread the word about how incredible you are. And, like, it brings itself to the surface, initially as just, like, a giant crowd of people in the streets, which is creepy and cool. But then it, like, all of the bodies morph together into, like, the full giant being. And I hate the visualization of it. Because it almost looks like a storm, like a tornado spinning around because it almost feels like they didn't know how else to do it when i just wanted to see like all the bodies morph together like in slither or uh stranger things season three and like grow into this giant blob yeah
4: almost anything would have been better because that's yeah that's supposed to be a
1: big payoff and it's just that's like the worst moment in the movie for me like it's a good moment but it's a terrible execution
4: (laughs) yeah i think that's like uh the biggest like downside for the movie overall is like a lot of the execution I don't like I don't really like that it's just like um, you know a moth that well, for whatever yeah. reason the giant moth is there and I can I give feel. it
1: like I can explain around that enough for me like the whole thing with John Carpenter's The Thing the idea is like it has absorbed so many things throughout the galaxy that like say in the dog kennel scene when that part of it opens up in like that long flower looking mouth comes out like that's potentially not just a mouth it made up like that is a piece of some creature it absorbed on another planet thousands of years ago so the idea being like you know maybe that's like some kind of giant prehistoric moth that it it knows the makeup of and it decided to attack them with that like it's not the best explanation but like i can that makes sense but it's just, it's just not like the coolest
4: thing for me like visually you know it's just like a lot of so much of the yeah the stuff that i just wish was so much better was like i mean so much of the the visual representations of
1: it is pretty cool though when it like latches onto liev schreiber's face and like lifts him up the wall and it's just like giant wings flapping oh yeah. and it's like eating his flesh
4: Yeah, I mean, that's gross and loses the face and the whole thing. But I feel
1: like the movie also gets a lot of mileage out of just suspense. Like the scene where Ben Affleck has to leave one lab and walk to the other and the dog is just sitting (laughs) there in the street staring at him and you know this is the creature. And like they didn't even have to go this far, but like late in that scene when they show the dog's face and they've like CG'd its eyes. That's fucking disturbing looking. (laughs) Yeah, but then he talks to the dog and he's like, "I'm just trying to spread the word." And then he like nudges right. it out of the way with his foot and keeps walking. Oh, that's a great scene, like it really is. I wish they didn't do anything with the eye. Yeah, I'm I I'm well, kind of well, with you worked. there, but it is a cool, yeah. creepy visual at the same time. Yeah. yeah, but like it worked. Like that was a cool scene with the dog. It really was. Yeah, or even something simple like, uh, except for one scene, like I don't know why they actually had him talk like normal for one scene, but like the uh, the black military dude. When he gets taken over, um he'll like just open his mouth wide and then a voice will come out of it, mm-hmm. like little things like that I think are stylistically cool i yeah there's just there's a lot of ideas in there that I love, and like in addition to all that, like Peter O'Toole's a classic actor, feels like he's slumming it a bit in this, but I also like him in it. I like the character he's playing Ben affleck, I mean, I don't think he's bad in this. He's just not like charismatic Ben Affleck yet. Yeah. He's not like, he's not Armageddon Ben Affleck yet. (laughs) Which this was probably like right around the time of Armageddon, right? I mean, it's like maybe like a year,
4: year before, but it's it's, it's, like, he's like vastly different.
1: But, But then for me personally, this is like the, like I had seen Scream, which like the first Scream has like a little bit of video footage on TV of like, Cotton Weary, the Liev Schreiber character being like walked in handcuffs to like a courtroom yeah. or something, and then he's mm-hmm. in Scream Two as like an actual character. But this was my introduction to Liev Schreiber, and for years before I feel like anybody really knew who he was or cared about him, I always liked him because of this movie. Because because he's fucking weird as shit in this, and I love when he becomes a villain later on. And his tag, his catchphrase is, "Hey, you want to see something?" He's <laughs> just so fucking weird and creepy. Yeah, and then another one for me is an uh, absolute favorite character actor of mine plays the third cop who dies early. It's Nicky Cat. Oh, Nicky Cat. I was like, of course Milsey likes this movie. Yeah, like he's hardly in it, Mickey but he's just another thing about this movie that I like. <laughs> he does die too early. He does. Too bad. I was like hoping he was going to come back at some point. but Yeah. But, uh, you know, Rose McGowan's fine. Um...
4: Yeah, the the two. I mean, I'm not like over the moon about the cast myself. I like. Like, I actually like Nicky Cat, and I think him and, although he's barely in it, but Liev Schreiber is, like, probably the the best part of it cast-wise. I don't really, like, care for the, the female leads. I actually didn't really like Peter O'Toole, Oh, really? To be honest. Yeah, it just didn't, like, just didn't really resonate with me. But, again, when it
1: gets to the scene where we start getting some answers, it's... I mean, his introduction into the movie is, like, when the premise really starts cooking because before that it's like a long period of just like what is happening and
4: yeah, then he oh, totally. shows
1: up and he's like here's exactly what's going on totally and also uh, I I didn't know about this until years later but uh, the dead body the woman that they find in room 204 uh-huh. in the hotel is Linnea Quigley playing a corpse oh, all right. <laughs> good for her
4: all right Linnea
1: but yeah Based on the 1983 novel of the same name, apparently this, like, studios tried to get this movie made forever, and it feels like one of those things where when the book first came out, it was probably like, oh, man, let's get this made into a movie, and they didn't know how to do it, didn't know how to do it, and it, like, Mm -hmm. sat on shelves and got rewritten a thousand times until some studio was like, yeah, let's just throw it together.
4: I mean, for me, oh,
1: god damn, would
4: I just love to see what this movie would have been if it came out in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Yeah,
1: for for real. Yeah, I mean, just knowing that, like, you know, again, to reference the thing, John Carpenter has always talked about, like, his apocalyptic trilogy. And, um, like, this has those Lovecraft themes, and it very much has an apocalyptic nature to it. Like, John Carpenter mm-hmm. making this movie in, like, the mid to late 80s would have been amazing. Uh.
4: It's funny too, like
1: th- like watching, you know,
4: the three movies, like each each of the movies, it's like combinations of things, you know, it's not even just like strictly like just monsters, but it's like species is like combos, of DNA combos.
1: And- yeah. Something I did, it didn't even occur to me until like we were part way through recording just now, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's all like creatures mixed with people. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Which, so, you know, body horror is a thing I am a big yeah, fan of. Same here. So the original inspiration, like the thing that sparked Dean Koontz into coming up with the concept for this movie is the vanishing of Angakuni Lake. So uh, I basically copied this right off of Wikipedia. So this is just verbatim. But I just I love reading about shit like this. Um, uh-huh. In 1930, a newsman in the Paz, Manitoba reported on a small Inuit village right off of Lake Angakuni. The village had always welcomed the fur trappers who passed through occasionally, but in 1930, Joe LaBella, a fur trapper well-known in the village, found that all of the villagers had gone. He found unfinished shirts that still had needles in them and food hanging over fire pits, and therefore concluded that the villagers had left suddenly. Even more disturbing, he found seven sled dogs dead from starvation and a grave that had been dug up. He reported this to the Northwest Mounted Police who conducted a search for the missing people. No one was ever found. Okay, I like it. I just I read something like that, and I'm just like, my fucking bones are chilled, and I love it (laughs) at the same time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Now, that particular instance, a lot of people think that it was an urban legend and that that Joe LaBella guy had lied about what happened or whatever, what he found. Mm -hmm. But again, um... Just because I had the personal connection, I I did a little extra research and I wrote this one down too because it's specifically referenced in the movie. The Lost Colony of Roanoke. Like this one really happened. The establishment of the Roanoke colony was an attempt by Sir Walter Raleigh to found the first permanent English settlement in North America. In 1587, Raleigh sent John White on an expedition to establish the city of Raleigh in Chesapeake Bay. White left his colonists intending to bring more supplies back to the colony in 1588. The Anglo-Spanish War delayed his return to Roanoke until 19, or 1592 years later, and upon his arrival he found the settlement fortified but abandoned. The cryptic word Croatoan was found carved into the palisade, which White interpreted to mean the colonists had relocated to the Croatoan island. Before he could follow his lead, though, rough seas and a lost anchor forced his rescue mission to return to England. The fate of approximately 112 to 121 colonists remains unknown. Speculation is that they may have assimilated with nearby Native American communities uh, and appeared in writings as early as 1605 investigation by the Jamestown colonists produced reports that the Roanoke settlers had been massacred as well as stories of people with European features in native American villages, but no hard evidence has ever been produced. And to this day, we still don't know what happened to that colony. I love it. And like literally reading it, I have goosebumps right now. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. I love shit like that. Yeah, I do too. That's why I get real in like, when I first found the Wikipedia article for the, um, the Oak Island pit, like just real world mysteries like that, that have never been solved. Yep. I just love that stuff. And so just taking, like having this crazy cockamamie out there premise for a movie Mm -hmm. and then sprinkling in little bits of like, Oh, but it could be an explanation for what happened to the lost colony of Roanoke just makes me go, I'm fucking in Dean. What do you got (laughs) for me? (laughs) I'm fucking in there. It was a pleasant surprise, this phantoms. I mean, I'm just glad to find another fan because legitimately in my lifetime, I don't know how many people I've even ever met who have seen this movie before. But as far as I know, in my circle of influence, I am the only person who until this day I knew liked this movie. No shit. (laughs) I know nobody else. Like, who do you know who's seen Phantoms? Much less. That's what I mean. I would guess like no one's seen
4: it. Exactly. Oddly enough, yeah. But it's like I feel like anyone who gets to like once they hit you with the the explanation, it's like God, that's cool. Like that is a cool. I mean,
1: because here's the thing: like this movie came out, it didn't do well at the time. I couldn't find a budget for it, but it only did five point six million in the box office. Oh shit! Like this movie came out, it didn't perform. Uh, For whatever reason, people weren't into it. It just kind of fell by the wayside. This is the kind of movie that I feel like genre fans would discover nowadays. As like, oh, 20 years later, let me check out this movie and watch it. And like you, be like, holy shit, that premise is really good. The movie has flaws, but this is worth checking out. Mm -hmm. Except like five years after it came out, Kevin Smith made a very popular movie where there's a line that ridicules it. And I feel like anybody who doesn't know what the movie is probably shrugs it off, even if they would presumably end up liking it because everyone just assumes that it's universal trash because it's made fun of in a movie. And I'm not saying I'm not condemning Kevin Smith for putting that joke in there. Like, it's funny. I get it. But I do feel like it has potentially hurt this movie's ability to (laughs) find an audience of any kind nowadays. Yeah, I'm curious, like, what the Venn diagram of, like, Kevin Smith fan...
4: You know, like, uh, people who've seen it or not seen it or, like, were swayed by that line in the movie. Like, yeah. Like, is that line for people who have seen Phantoms or have not seen Phantoms,
1: you know what I mean? hmm
4: Like, who who gets the bigger kick out of that? I don't know.
1: Yeah. But, but again, I'm not, like, I'm not condemning that movie or Kevin Smith for yeah, doing yeah. that or anything. It's just, I really do wonder could this movie have had some kind of resurgence or, like, better respect if if everyone didn't have a preconceived notion of how bad it is because of that movie, but... I don't know. Yeah. I do not know. So just, you know, virtual internet handshake to you that I'm glad that yeah. I now have somebody yeah. else who uh, I can talk to about this <laughs> movie and won't I mean, roll their eyes at me.
4: I mean, out forever and like, the... Talking of Triple Threat, I'd be like, man, Phantoms, what a premise.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, The one other thing about this movie that is, I don't know, it doesn't help, is that it's directed by a guy named Joe Chappelle. He's made very little. The other quote-unquote big movie he made is Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers, which is, I I mean, I, I don't think anybody would disagree, at least of the original Halloween series, is the worst one. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the one with Paul Rudd Where they introduce oh. the whole idea of like the The family or whatever The cult or whatever oh, the... oh, And like okay, the, okay. the tattoo on Michael's wrist Of the thorn and everything gotcha. It's the one that uh, Donald Pleasance died while they were making it And there's like a couple different versions And it feels cobbled together And it's just an absolute fucking mess
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: I don't know how much of that you can hold against him But it doesn't help uh, Also <laughs> I uh, remembered while doing research for this that he was an uncredited uh, director on Hellraiser Bloodline, Ew. which we reviewed, the, <laughs> uh. the outer space Hellraiser movie that ended up being <laughs> an Alan Smithy production. Love it. But saving him a bit is he was like, I think, a producer and directed several episodes of The Wire, which people consider oh. to be like the best television show ever made. So.
0: Okay, okay.
1: Joe Chappelle. Not all, not all in the dumps for him. Yeah, and Dean Kuntz, uh, you know, kind of a big-time novelist in that sort of, like, Tom Clancy, you know...
4: Yeah, totally.
1: Oh, he, he people buy his books off of spinner racks at the airport to read on long trips because he just writes that kind of stuff. Uh, I always got the impression he was more of, like, a... Not so much like a horror sci-fi writer, but kind of like a thriller kind of crime writer, but... That's what I thought. He has written some like crazy stuff, including, uh, so this movie he actually wrote the script for, like he adapted his own novel for it, Mm -hmm. which I think he's written a couple scripts, but the other movies of note that, uh, are based on his books in this kind of same ballpark are demon seed, which I watched not super long ago. And it's about a house run by a computer that gains sentience and it wants to have a child. So it's like, this AI controlled house that locks Julie Christie inside and tries to force it to let it impregnate her with like a robot baby. Oh, which is fucking crazy. It's a pretty good movie too. Okay. (laughs) And, uh, he also wrote the book that the movie watchers was based on with, um, Corey Haim is in it. And Mm. the premise is that scientists have created a smart dog. (laughs) <laughs> which uh, they'll, like, send into enemy encampments in, like, battle situations with the hopes that people be like, oh, it's just, like, a cute golden retriever or whatever and accept it. And then they have also, like, genetically created this, like, giant beast that is, like, somehow coded to the dog. So when they unleash the beast, it just goes straight to the dog with the idea, like, we send the dog in to, like lead the creature to the enemy encampment and then it'll kill all the enemies.
4: Oh, that's pretty cool.
1: And then like the dog gets loose from the lab and it's on the run and it befriends this young boy played by Corey Haim. And then the creatures after it, and they're trying to save the dog and
4: that actually sounds kind of awesome.
1: Yeah. It's a really cool premise. Uh, the movie doesn't a hundred percent land, but I think there's like three sequels to it. <laughs> oh, Jesus. But, uh, all right. Yeah, I think uh, if I remember correctly, Michael Ironside is also like a evil government guy in that, too. So that's always a plus. Always. But yeah, phantoms. Want to talk some posties? Let's do it. Please. Uh, So, Species, a uh, very memorable poster. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is one of those ones that's on the backs of a thousand comic books. It is, for sure. Uh, you know, it feels like them doing a riff on the Alien poster that was just like an egg. But, of course, this one is like, oh, it's kind of like an egg cocoon thing with light coming mm. out of it, just like Alien, except we can see, like, a lady inside.
4: Right. It's kind of ugly.
1: Yeah, it's not. Like, it's it's memorable. I've seen it a billion times, but it's not on its own merits. Incredible.
4: Right. I mean, again, they love doing two taglines. Yeah. Yeah. Two taglines is going to be hot in the streets forever. Apparently,
1: our time is up. Terrible and unnecessary. The other one I like; it's yeah. intriguing. Two decades oh, ago, yeah. a scientist sent a message to space. This is the reply. That that is like that pulls you in.
4: Mm-hmm. But then, lousy, lousy, lousy title logo. Yeah, lousy second tagline than just the image itself is pretty ugly
1: i'm a little surprised that so this i feel like you see more of sill on this poster than you do in most of the movie until the very end oh without a doubt i'm a little surprised that they didn't lean more into sexy natasha henstridge on the poster like her looking all alluring but with like one alien eye or something (laughs) i think they, they did that for the sequel (laughs) <laughs> you may be right well, i think
4: that exact like that exact shot i've
1: seen her <laughs> with like
4: an alien eye
1: at a at a, like in a moment's notice, I'm not sure hundred percent what else you do for this poster, but yeah this is it's okay it's it's fine it's it's of the time yep uh the relic i i really like this like color scheme and everything <laughs> I've never seen this before I think I must only know like the dvd box art which is like some like where it's just the giant mouth.
4: Yeah, it's like that real fuzzy mouth. This one's yeah. pretty awesome. I love the colors together and the museum. I mean, it doesn't tell you. Nothing gives away that it's like a monster movie. It feels almost more like a whole, like a,
1: like a haunted house or something. Yeah, or like a pull. I do, So guy. it's like a fisheye lens view of the front of the museum, which is kind of iconic looking with like the banners with the big scary face on it. Mm-hmm. With it's all like dark blue except for the red around the door. I mean, I think it gives you the impression, okay, this is a horror movie, takes place in a museum. The title is The Relic, and relics are like old things, and then the tagline is, "Yeah, not the best tagline, but it's, they did the unthinkable, they brought it back, which makes you think like, oh, there's like some ancient evil in an artifact in the museum, which is like not far from what, right. like, this is a pretty good advertising tactic yeah. without telling you exactly what it is. Yeah. I liked it. I mean, I would put this in the rotation in a... Movie theater room, yeah, I like it's a good poster. Like it's a it's a really good example of like the opposite of species, where it tells you kind of what you're in for without playing its entire hand.
4: Yeah, it's like it's it's pretty. Yeah, (laughs) you know, which is like actually a thing, but it's like it's it's Mm
1: -hmm. it's appealing, good color scheme. Like it's it's kind of close to like the alien poster, where it's just like the egg. And, Uh you know, so it's like, okay, there's some kind of thing that comes out of an egg and the tagline is in space, no one can hear you scream. Like, that sets you up for all you really need to know. Like, am I going to be into this or not? Yeah. I'm with you. And then uh, Phantoms, it's not mind-blowing. I do kind of like it, though, because it's, like, simple and mysterious. It's, like, a nice graphic. I feel I'm, like, kind of surprised they give away the... The angle of it coming from below. Mm-hmm. I mean, but, it's still mysterious because you don't know what they're talking about. But yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's a pretty good tagline, in the same way that Species has a good tagline, which is like intriguing. For for centuries, they told us terror would come from above. We've been looking the wrong way. That's a cool tagline. It is. No, that's good, and I like. I love that it's not just like Photoshop cast. Yeah. Poster. Which is like what the box cover has always been because they wanted uh, to push like, oh look, Ben Affleck and Rose McGowan are like hot right. young people. Yeah, but I like the use of the the logo mm-hmm. here. You know, like the stretch and the color effect. Yeah, I mean, I like the the I black and green color scheme that they've always used for the advertising of this. So yeah, I mean, it's yeah, I think it's a solid poster. It's it's kind of in that ballpark of relic where. They're not playing their whole hand. They're giving you an idea of things like even the title phantoms, like the explanation in the movie is that the creature can mimic anything that it's consumed. So like the people that appear on the surface made out of its mass or whatever are like uh, drones or phantoms, they call them like. Right, right, right. Uh so like the title doesn't give everything away, but it's definitely intriguing. Like this is the kind of thing that if I didn't know what this movie was, I would see this and think, oh, "I got to check this out." And I wouldn't be thinking even though it says, you know, it insinuates there's something underground. This doesn't read to me as like, "Oh, there's giant worms, <laughs> like Tremors or something." Oh, right. Like right. That's yeah, a good point. It, it, it's like something supernatural, I don't know, but I dig it. I don't know. Mhm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Break it down for the people. Uh I'm going to give Relic... I mean, I don't see anything to detract from a five. It's a solid Probably fucking yeah. poster. And even, you know, the tagline's not the best thing ever, but it works. I I think it's mm-hmm. good. I do, too. Phantoms, admittedly, I don't think is that far behind. The image isn't as cool as the one in Relic. But, like, tagline and color scheme and every like, simple color scheme just like Relic, I dig. I'm going to give... I guess I didn't say like for relic I guess I'll I'll give no. it uh, I forgot my bit sorry. <laughs> <For> relic. <laughs> I, knew
4: circ- I knew you'd circle I knew you'd circle back.
1: For relic I'm going to give uh five fungus-laden leaves Ooh. from the dark continent. Okay. Very nice. Uh for relic or for the for phantoms I'm going to give uh four pacemakers found in a pile in room 204 of the hotel. <laughs> I love it. And uh, Species, you know, I don't think it's the worst. It's not the best. I don't have any, like, real ill will towards it aside from that second tagline. Maybe I'll go soft on it because it's so memorable. I've seen it a thousand times, but I'm going to give it uh, three nipple tentacles. (laughs) I knew you were doing it. I
4: knew it. (laughs) I knew he was going for tentacles. I love it. Three is three, a giving of you, but I don't knock it. Yeah. I mean, it could be a lot worse. It's just ugly to me. I just find it to be ugly. Yeah, but I don't think I have that I much would of a negative reaction
1: to it. I I'm probably would have like gone inspired two, by but it, but.
4: I like it. No, I go with three uh, Three boob tentacles. I'm fine <laughs> with that.
1: <sighs> yeah. So. All right, Melzi. Mm-hmm. Down to the nitty gritty. All right. Uh, do you want to know where I stand or would you like to go first?
4: Um, I'll go first And I'll say Pound for pound
1: I feel like this is one of our best trifectas You know I texted you the other day After I finished watching Phantoms Was the last one I watched Mm -hmm. And I think I said to you That this may be like my favorite trio We've ever done Just (laughs) like nostalgic value And the other thing is like When I was watching these three movies back to back Like monster movies Sci-fi horror stuff like this They all have body horror. It's like my favorite kind of movies. It's typically, I've said it before, like being really weirdly specific, my favorite subgenre of film is a small group of people trapped in a location Uh, with something that that they don't understand that's killing them and they have to like try and survive. And Species isn't exactly that because it's like just in the city and they're tracking it. But The Relic and Phantoms are that. Yes. Yes. And just like watching the three of these movies that I have fondness and nostalgia for getting to revisit the relic for the first time in a long time, rediscovering the things I love about species. I mean, this could be the most fun I've had. And we've had some good trios, right? Oh God. Yeah. There's been some movies I've discovered that I hadn't seen before that I like and whatever, but this may be just like the flat out most fun an excitement I've had to like talk to you about a trio that we've ever done.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I feel that way too. And it's just like, you know, for me being like two like constants for me. This one unicorn thing that I've never gotten around to seeing and then actually enjoying it. It's <laughs> probably the nicest you know.
1: thing anyone's ever said about phantoms. <laughs> Calling it a unicorn. <laughs>
4: uh so it's just like to you know, to have that payoff finally, I mean, this. you know, it was our second episode we came up with, so I don't know at what point in our friendship of 10 plus years now that we were like both zeroed in on like realizing the other one is on the same level when it comes to like monsters mm-hmm. and shit, but it's like then we get these kind of episodes
1: and it's just like, I feel like it just like becomes pouring out <laughs> of us. Yeah. I feel like this is a safe space when it comes to these kind of things. Yeah.
4: And I feel like like these, like I said, like this being like pound for pound, like one of our best trifectas, because like these, these to me are like on all on like an even playing field, yeah.
1: you know, of like time, quality, similarities. Yeah, and obviously we had criticisms about all of them, but like that doesn't oh, stop yeah. us from being able to enjoy them just for yeah. what they are.
4: Right, right. It's like it, it it's. Ultimate, it's like a great fun episode and also painful because then you have to find, then you have to like pick your favorite child type (laughs) of thing. That being said, you know, just trying to think of like what's, who's who and what's what here. I think my buy is pretty much going in. I thought it was going to be, but the relic is my Mm buy from a from a standpoint of just initial like idea of like you know the like you said, coming from the Lost Continent and ended up the the <laughs> museum, but just all, all of that and then turning, and then it's a it's a Stan Winston creature where it just looks so cool and I've just like, it's something I've liked and it could have been a time where, you know, watching it later and it could have, that could have softened for me and it doesn't and it's still like, it still holds its own, it has its flaws, like we said. I mean, it, it it needs a little more monster for sure. But like everything that's there I just enjoy so much. It's mm-hmm. just like,
1: you know. The, Tom Sizemore.
4: Yeah, of course. <laughs> yes, Tom Sizemore. Just that, you know, you're waiting that whole, you know, every time the computer chimes with the, uh, the, the car, crash, car noise, crash noise. I'm just yeah, like, I dig that. I'm just like, yeah, yeah. Like, what do we got? What do we got? You know, and it's like it slowly reveals those things. I love Penelope Miller. I think she's great in it. Yeah. So it's just like it just like
1: hits on all levels for me with this. Tom Sizemore, by the way, another uh new entry to the uh the list of people who've been in three movies we've oh. talked about because he's in true romance and uh what's the red planet. <laughs> Holy shit. As well. Yeah.
4: Jeez God, we've watched a lot of
1: movies. <laughs> yeah. So
4: Yeah, it's just there's it so much to to like for me with um the relic. Um coming down the other two, it's it's a wild for me because it's like I've been a fan of Species for decades, seen it so many times. Again, like, Phantoms is that one, like, one of those movies. Like, I was so, like, aware of that that is a movie with also not knowing shit about it. (laughs) And then, like, finally, you know, basically forcing ourselves to watch it, which isn't a problem. But then, and then for it to actually, like, deliver like it does with just, like, such a solid premise. It's just, like, it, like, blows my mind just as we (laughs) talked about it and thinking about it. I'm just like, God. Just like, what an idea, (laughs) you know, it's like, I'll always think back to like the, to me sitting in the office here watching it, just like that first hit of just like Dean Koontz and being like, oh, I'm in for something completely different, you know, (laughs) and then, and then the, it starts off like right away, like you, you're in the shit already, which I always like.
1: Yeah, as I was yeah. rewatching it, I was thinking to myself, like, I know this movie has a reputation, but Dax has to react to the concept in this. I just yeah. remember oh, thinking, sure. like, I don't know if he knows what this movie's about, but like, he's got to have a reaction to this. Yeah, yeah. It's just like oh, it's just so cool. See, I find it, I find it
4: tough, but I think a couple things that'll boil down to me is I think species is going to be my borrow. Cause I think I just, I like the crew of people that much more in species and species doesn't really like hit me where it hurts with the, the effects until the end where I do just find like the effects are like glaring to me throughout phantoms Mm -hmm. and I just, but it just makes me wish they were so much better. Like throughout that, I just, it it took me out of the movie quite a bit watching it. And it's too bad because, especially like I said, when the leaf stuff happens at the end, I was just like, oh, it just left me like wanting more of that, and like kind of just like made some of the other stuffs like just more cringy for me. That it just, if I have to pick one that can't, you know, that has to go, it it would be phantoms, but begrudgingly because it was such a good experience <laughs> for me. But I have yeah. to pick one where it's like I couldn't necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily see myself watching it again i'm glad i watched it but it's like i think and i get like this with a lot of movies we talk about here but it's like sometimes i can't i it's hard for me to look past some things especially when it comes to like effects which you know and there's no nostalgia for me for me with this movie so it's not like other things where it's like I kind of can give it a pass because it's like i'm so like used to it Mm -hmm. where this it just there was this one it just like it sticks out to me throughout watching it and then especially when the 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 finale when that just giant glob tornado whatever cloud thing i'm just like
1: it's an unfortunate decision on the you could they could have like it
4: could have it could have gone different definitely a different decision for me but that just uh that just that just got me in the heart. After after that fucking reveal, that is so amazing. And then but that, that that's
1: when I got in the end, I was just like I was like a shotgun blast to the heart. Like, a shotgun like, blast oh, to Leaf Schreiber's face. Yeah, seriously. I was like, damn. But
4: <laughs> I will not toss phantoms into the sun. I appreciate
1: that. <laughs> yeah, I've had a DVD copy that I probably got from record and tape traders that small record mm-hmm. store near me decades ago or maybe got it used from blockbuster or something mm-hmm. i've I've had that dvd forever and that's what i watched for this and for years i've been wanting a blu-ray of course there isn't one uh in the u.s i did just discover that there is a region free version oh. from i think it's in spanish like like the title on the spine is still Phantoms, but then like all the text on the back is in Spanish. Uh huh. And it's. So it's still got an English track though. Yeah. Yeah. It's got English track. I don't know if it does have some special features, which I would be very interested to see. And I, I hope, I would like to think that they're going to be in English or at least have subtitles as well. But, uh,. It's on Amazon for like 20 bucks, and I'm, I've am i been seriously considering the last couple of days, like just Millsy. going ahead and ordering a copy because I'm like the, the one fan of this movie.
4: Billsy. <laughs> just once we're done, you know what to do.
1: <laughs> just, uh, just do it. That reaction doesn't surprise me in the least. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, for me, I'll go ahead and say that there's two... Very specific reasons for this, but the relic is going to be my burn. Mm-hmm. The main reason for me, and I don't know if it's compounded by the fact that I have now read about the movie and I understand more of what happened, but there's just not enough monster in this. And I know, like, everything we said about less is more, but like, this thing is like a big lizard beast. It there needs to be more scenes of it causing carnage and like maiming people. And it's just a real crying shame that if that factoid that I read is accurate, that like screen time for the monster in the entire film is only four minutes. Mm-hmm. If that's even close to true, which it feels like it probably is. It's, it's just, it's unfortunate because the movie has a lot going for it otherwise. And while I do love the premise, it doesn't, like the 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 kind of backstory and like explanation for the creature doesn't quite measure up to that of either of the other two films for me like Mm -hmm. phantoms is that huge fucking crazy premise and i just i love the sci-fi idea of like a message from space caused us to create this thing (laughs) and so for those two reasons and not a whole lot else i mean it's it's you know it's not like it's you know, half as good as the others, or something. It's just I got gotcha. you. Some's got to get burned.
4: I, I ain't gonna knock it. I said the same thing. Some's yeah. got to go.
1: I bought it on Blu-ray recently. I there got it go. on the shelf now. With okay. that horrible, just does it have that big dumb mouth, mouth cover? No. Yeah.
4: <laughs> I get a bootleg of uh
1: that poster. Yeah, seriously, I'll have Tony print me up a uh, yeah, seriously a new insert. Don't actually do it, Tony. I was joking. You know, I don't want it. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Milsey actually hates that idea. <laughs> For my borrow, it's going to be Species, which is a really solid movie Mm -hmm. all around, has a couple little weird plot things in the middle uh, that we talked about, and then the super disappointing CG at the end, but, you know, just a solid, fun kind of men on a mission it's like it's got a different vibe than the other two which I do like about it. A lot of the movie is during the day. It's just it's it's a neat idea and like some good special effects, some bad ones, but when it comes right, right down to it, Phantoms could probably have the worst CG of any movie ever made and I would <laughs> still give it uh, mad props for the premise which like I like I said before just the concept of the movie it just it's like it's like i can't control the grin on my face when i like yeah. explain the premise of the film i can't not even for someone who just burned it i can't i can't <laughs> agree more
4: that yeah there's just a, that idea is like a once in a lifetime <laughs> like, good idea
1: it's such an incredible premise and uh because I've watched it so many times over the years, like I said, I, I have a fondness for Liev Schreiber as an actor because of him mm-hmm. in this movie. Like, when I think of Liev Schreiber, I'm guessing other people think of Scream or that, uh, that TV show he had on, like, Showtime or HBO or whatever, Ray Donovan or, or something. Right, right, Other people probably have these very specific things they think of. I immediately think of Stu with that stupid grin on his face at the end of the movie saying, hey, want to see something in that bar? <laughs> Like, that's what I picture when I think of Liev Schreiber. I'd love to know the other people out there in the world that have, feel the same way. <laughs> we'll have Phantoms Con and six of us oh, will show up. Love it. And, uh, yeah, just Nikki Cat being in there, the discovery of Linnea Quigley being a tiny mm. little part of the cast. Yeah, the movie is definitely flawed. It is imperfect. Like I can't deny that. But um, it's like... Something can have problems or be less than perfect, but then there's just, like, things about it that work so well for an individual, and this movie just, like, has my fucking number. <laughs> yeah.
4: It's, like, that, it's the relic for me, and it's this for you,
1: but yeah. we also love that other
4: thing still, so. It's, yeah. This it's is, just... like, a, this is a a special kind of episode.
1: <laughs> yeah on a special episode of Triple Threat Theater. Mm-hmm. So we gush for two plus hours. <laughs> and it's just a movie that I feel like I've been the only fucking cheerleader for for so long. And like, I've always legitimately liked it and I just mm-hmm. feel like I like it more every time I see it. I don't know. It, yeah. I, I mean, it, I just, I'm, I'm glad that it never just
4: like came out in conversation that you told me what it was about. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is how I was able to find it. Cause it would have like, to see it in the movie and then like that's the
1: it's just oh. I mean you saw it the best way possible to I really not did know yeah. what it is yeah regardless it is
4: it was the best way to watch it and it's like I pre- preferably could do that more often than not just going in blind is just the best especially when it's got payoff like of all things phantoms yeah. Like I said, what an episode!
1: <laughs> like I yeah, like I said, I'm just glad that uh, I finally have somebody who yeah. will back me up about. I, 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 that could be like
4: a thing of all things. I'm like yeah, I'll be like yeah, you know what? Affleck is the bomb in fans. <laughs> <sighs> Shit! Well, Bilzy, let's try and top this. Not gonna I don't happen. know if it can be done. I don't know if it can be done. How many there's ma- episodes? May, there's are maybe
1: two other episodes that could possibly top <laughs> this. <laughs> Currently, we have 243 potential themes.
4: Here we go. 63, Milzy.
1: 63. Always with the low numbers. Always. 63. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, now for something completely different. Completely <laughs> different. Uh, laugh in the face of danger is the theme for next oh, episode. Yeah and um
4: just screeching to a halt and turning around doing
1: a complete 180 would it blow your mind to know i've never seen any of these
4: stop i mean i know how you feel about the said things but i yeah. did
1: not know that was the case holy shit yeah yep no nope. oh, never guy, never seen any of these this'll be magic <laughs> oh boy Boy, oh boy. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen them, so I don't know, but I doubt there's going to be as much gushing on the next episode, (laughs) at least on this side of the conversation.
4: (laughs) I'm not going to expect it for a second.
1: (laughs) So, yeah. Uh, Next episode, Triple Threat Theater, episode 70, we will be talking Laugh in the Face of Danger which I can only blame myself for if I hate them because I'm the one who came up with the theme. But I mean, I'm using the show to like watch things I wouldn't normally get around Mm. to otherwise. Because these are ones you would skip. Yeah, I mean, they're ones I have skipped up until now. Yes. Yes. (laughs) All right. That's it for this episode. So until next time, I am Ryan Miller. I'm Joe Daxberger. Hey, you want to see something?